0: My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity happening around the world today. My guest this week is the Chief Business Development Officer of Bitcoin Reserve, plus a husband, father, and U.S. Marine Corps veteran. He's recently left the Christian faith and graciously agreed to come on the podcast to talk about it. Please welcome Andrew Howard.
1: This is a time of transformation as old ways fall men are called to rise to heal our lives grow strong and transcend our limitations in tribes around the world drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time a new day Is beginning. This is the Renaissance of men. You are the Renaissance.
0: Okay, listeners, brace yourselves. I'm going to read you a quote you're not going to like, but I encourage you to look into the mirror of it and take in what it has to say. Quote Christianity as a religion is entirely spiritual, occupied solely with heavenly things. The country of the Christian is not of this world. He does his duty indeed, but does it with profound indifference to the good or ill success of his cares. Provided he has nothing to reproach himself with, it matters little to him whether things go well or ill here on earth. If the state is prosperous, he hardly dares to share in the public happiness, for fear he may grow proud of his country's glory. If the state is languishing, he blesses the hand of God that is hard upon his people." If the power is abused by him who wields it, it is the scourge wherewith God punishes his children. There would be scruples about driving out the usurper. Public tranquility would have to be disturbed. Violence would have to be employed. And blood spilt. All this accords ill with Christian meekness. And after all, in this veil of sorrows, what does it matter whether we are free men or serfs? The essential thing is to get to heaven, and resignation is only an additional means of doing so. Christianity preaches only servitude and dependence. Its spirit is so favorable to tyranny that it always profits by such a regime. True Christians are made to be slaves and they know it and do not much mind. This short life counts for too little in their eyes. End quote. This is from the French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau in the 1700s. Does it sting? It should, because these observations, which are now almost 300 years old, still resonate today. Spend any time on Twitter and you'll almost certainly encounter critiques like these in not so many words. Dig a little deeper and you'll find those who accuse Christianity itself of being a conspiracy for those same reasons. That rather than being a liberating religion, it enslaves. Rather than bringing about the kingdom of God, it enables the kingdom of darkness. And rather than being a force to generate strength in men, it weakens them by design. And the way most men conduct their Christian life it's hard not to agree. Why is this? Because Satan and his fallen angel armies understand Christianity much better than we humans do. Acts 19.15 says, quote, But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Can you take that in? That the armies of the prince of the power of the air are familiar with Jesus and Paul? C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, famously illustrates demons communicating with each other via written letters. So it seems clear that these forces communicate, coordinate, and conspire to make you and me their target with insider knowledge of how things really work. In other words, we are at war. War has been declared on us, and we are at an asymmetrical information disadvantage. The forces of darkness know how things work, how we work, how Christianity works, often better than we do but too many Christian men fail to acknowledge this biblical reality and sink not just into material but spiritual passivity. This is what Rousseau is talking about, a despicable trend of Christian men to hold up weakness and false pietistic humility as virtues, right before celebrating their own destruction as martyrs and thinking that somehow makes them virtuous. Same story, different century. Sorry, I mean millennium. I know Rousseau's statement is a lie, and everything I do is meant to push back on his observations, and yet I get the strongest pushback from Christian men who are more afraid of hurting fragile feelings on earth than offending a holy God. And if you ask me, I think we offend God by being anything less than the courageous, bold, and outspoken warriors for faith and truth that all the apostles were. And as I often ask on Twitter, I'm the new guy in the room. I've been here for less than three years— Why am I the one that has to be saying this, especially when others have been asking for much longer? Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Andrew Howard, and he's the chief business development officer of Bitcoin Reserve, plus a husband, father, former Marine, and a man who was raised Christian and is now leaving the faith. Why? Because like many men, he wants to fight for this world, for his wife and child, for freedom for humanity, and the faith that he was handed by his family and community taught him to do none of those. It failed to appeal to more than his heart and spirit, but his muscles, mind, and bones as a man. Now he's angry, and he's not alone. You don't have to travel far on social media to find similar sentiments mocking Christianity, Christians, and even Christ. Heck, just turn on the TV— or listen to Andrew Tate talk about why he converted to Islam, which I have on good authority was genuine at least in part because he looked at Christians and saw nothing but weakness. Leaving aside Galatians 6 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. I think their criticisms land, and it would be foolish to pretend otherwise. I don't draw the same conclusions from the criticisms, obviously but I wouldn't be the first man to say that they point to many things Christians should have been reflecting on for, oh, about 300 years. Proverbs 17.10 A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Thankfully, I know my listeners are those who have understanding. And to return to my guest, Andrew, he posted on Twitter back in July a thread of tweets that began as follows, quote, I've been meaning to post this for a while. Here we go. I am no longer a Christian. I've always pursued truth and can't force myself to believe things that don't make sense to me. There is no religion higher than truth. And then he quoted Mark Twain who said, the best cure for Christianity is reading the Bible. I replied to Andrew saying, quote, I'm sorry to read this. If I may, I'd say that these objections indicate you weren't properly a Christian to begin with. That's not an insult. Very few who grow up Christian like you did today are taught what they believe and why to the point it changes their heart. Quote, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. There are answers to all your questions and objections. Are you interested in a dialogue about this? Andrew graciously agreed to come on the podcast to have that very dialogue which you're about to hear. I thought it was an important discussion to have, Because whether Andrew was properly discipled in the Christian faith or not is irrelevant to the fact that men with energy, intensity, and intellect like him are essential to the future of Christianity. And Christians don't grow out of the ground. We're either given birth to and discipled or recruited. Recruitment is much faster. So if Christians can't speak to masculine men today who are fathers, protectors, and builders, who have the testosterone levels to fight for this world rather than pietistically living for the next, Then I think it's worth reflecting whether those of us in Christ are truly living out and communicating our faith in the correct way. So I thought I'd give it a try. And I'd like to thank Andrew for being my partner in this spirited discussion. Before we got into the apologetics, Andrew and I discussed something we have in common, a love for Bitcoin, including fiat currency and war, how to Bitcoinize Latin America, the process of individuals onboarding to Bitcoin, hyperinflation versus slow adoption, and finally, the massive wealth transfer that's about to happen from boomers to millennials. After about half an hour, Andrew and I got into the discussion, and I hope you enjoy. Also, I hope you recognize I'm not a professional apologist. I'm just a man who works to make sure that the things I believe touch the ground and touch grass. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. Please share this episode with a friend and leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, plus a five-star rating on Spotify. To all my listeners, coming up on Friday, August 25th, I'll be hosting a public meetup in Dallas-Fort Worth, and the details are finally set. At 5.30 p.m., I'll be at the Rustic on Howell Street in Dallas, where we can enjoy some barbecue, beer, and even some live music at their large outdoor dining area. From there, once dinner is done, probably at around 8 or so, we'll walk to the nearby Casa de Monte Cristo Cigar Lounge, not too far away. Information about both locations is available in the show notes. Again, that's on August 25th in Dallas at 5.30 p.m. at the Rustic on Howell Street, followed by Cigars at Casa de Monte Cristo. And I hope to see you there. Plus, mark your calendars now for the third edition of the Renaissance of Men digital conference series coming up on Saturday, November 11th. This one has taken a bit longer to put together, but I think you're going to like it. I'm assembling a team to speak to one of the most crucial demographics today, young men under the age of 30. So again, mark your calendars for Saturday, November 11th, and more information about the lineup of speakers and their assigned virtues will be coming soon. Finally, the Renaissance of Men podcast is proudly sponsored by Reformation Coffee, purveyors of fine coffee beans hand-roasted by Pastor Brandon Lansdowne in Springfield, Missouri. Brandon and I messaged briefly this week, and Reformation Coffee's appearance at Grace Agenda in Moscow, Idaho was a huge success. Nothing makes me happier than seeing my friends and brothers succeed. And witnessing Reformation's growth over these past few months has been inspiring. And I'd like to thank you, my listeners, for being a part of it. Brandon and the team are still catching up on 50 pounds of coffee orders they have to roast following the conference. But you know what? There's something special about that moment when the wind feels the sails of the dreams that you've been building, and you've got a grind to catch up. Pun intended. So if you'd be so kind, please take a moment to congratulate Brandon by ordering some more coffee. Maybe we can make it a hundred pounds. I'm sure he won't mind. Probably go to reformationcoffee.com right now and sign up for a new monthly subscription. And when you do enter the code SUBFREE to get one free 12 ounce bag of coffee. I just opened a fresh bag of Brazil roast and I'm really enjoying it, especially because Brandon posted his super secret Gandalf Ninja Master pour over recipe on Twitter the other day, which means it might be time for a Will Reforms His Coffee three month update. Until then, once again, go to ReformationCoffee.com and enter the code SUBFREE, and Brandon will roast you up one free 12-ounce bag of coffee with your new subscription, and probably wear a three-piece suit while doing it. And please welcome this week's guest on the podcast, a husband, father, and former soldier with a sharp mind and hard questions we all need to learn to answer, Andrew Howard. Andrew, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast
2: yeah well, great to be here. looking forward to uh, getting into some some interesting, possibly controversial topics today. so
0: thanks for having me. I'm all for oh, you're welcome. I'm all for interesting uh and controversial so um so we I, I just wanted to say um I mentioned this before we talked. you know, you posted a bunch of tweets about Christianity maybe a couple of weeks ago, something like that, and i I really appreciated like I responded and you you said that you'd be open to a dialogue about it, and so I just wanted to start by saying thank you for that. Um, because I think it's really important that men find the ability to talk about points of disagreement, you know, openly, rationally, and as brothers, instead of immediately like going hard and attacking each other. Like, okay, let's actually talk about it instead of turn Twitter into a continuous ongoing battleground.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I think, um, men are confrontational by nature or should be confrontational mm-hmm. by nature. And that's how we've established hierarchies and, and determine what truth is and stuff like that. But, uh, Twitter is a very unnatural way to have that confrontation. So I think you and I agree on on a lot. Um, exactly. And I also have to say I find some irony in the uh, cool looking Roman helmet in the background, given that you're a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. Let's get into it.
0: Yeah, let's go. So let's let's start with some of the points of disagreement because um, I'm actually big supporter of Bitcoin, big fan. In fact, I was just advocating it for uh, at church. This uh, this past Sunday with a couple guys explaining it to them, they're like, "Well, what's the difference between Bitcoin and crypto?" I'm like, "Well, first of all, (laughs) like, throw out crypto completely, throw that out from your vocabulary." But I'm finding that more and more Christians, in particular, are discovering it, which is very exciting. Um, But you, uh, your work with the Bitcoin Reserve is also of interest to me because we got into the subject of how to buy, how to buy Bitcoin, how to store it. I went to the Thank God for Bitcoin conference with Zuby and a bunch of others uh, back in Florida, so. It's a big subject for me. So let's start with your work with uh, the Bitcoin reserve and and maybe get an update on where Bitcoin is at right now. Because I know we pulled out of that big dip for a while, but it seems like there's, I don't know if uncertainty is quite really the, the word for how I describe the moment, but the path forward seems a bit less clear than it has in the past.
2: Yeah, so uh, I'll start off with a background on myself, who I am, what I'm doing, all that stuff. Mm. Um, So, yeah, name is Andrew Howard. I have been Chief Business Development Officer at uh, a Bitcoin-only brokerage called Bitcoin Reserve. I'm also a a partial owner in the company as well. Um, I got involved in Bitcoin in early 2017 when I was active duty in the United States Marine Corps. Actually, and um, I read uh, a few books. one of them was uh, the Creature from Jekyll Island," which maybe a lot of mm-hmm. your listeners have have also read basically the book is is uh, like an encyclopedia of the Federal Reserve and the origins of the Federal Reserve and how uh, it's actually against the interest of the American people and um, you know America had several central banks before the creation of the Federal Reserve and they were disbanded because they're effectively arguably unconstitutional so Mm -hmm. um that really opened my eyes up a lot on the monetary system and i had never really thought about the relationship between all of these meaningless wars that the united states has been involved with and the money system and practically speaking it would be impossible for these wars to be funded if it weren't for uh the United States being able to essentially print or nowadays digitally create money out of thin air uh, and, and uh, you know have debt-based money. so uh, fast forward, you know went down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, got out of the Marine Corps, joined Bitcoin Reserve, and, and effectively my professional life is very much so merged with my personal life, which I'm very happy to say, because uh, I really do believe Bitcoin will create a much better world. I think we're going to have a more peaceful world under a Bitcoin standard because again, you know, wars would not be able to be waged the way they are today. Um, I yeah. think the cost of things, I think everything would cost one-tenth of what they are today if we were under a hard money standard like Bitcoin. So my goal is really to just spread uh, education about Bitcoin um, and, uh, and help people buy it safely. From a company that's not going to sell shit coins on the same mm-hmm. platform, right? So uh, yeah, yeah, basically, Bitcoin Reserve we we help people all over the world buy any amount of Bitcoin except for the United States and Canada. So that's the company.
0: Oh, okay. So it's a, it's it's outside of the U.S. and Canada that you're serving.
2: Correct. Yeah, it's it's uh, similar to Bitfinex. Bitfinex also does not serve U.S. citizens. So got it, got it.
0: And so you're you're currently living in Mexico, right?
2: I am, yeah. I've been in Mexico for the last over three years now. Um, I moved here in March of 2020 to escape the uh, demic, or demic, or pandemic, whatever you want to call it. But uh, I'm from Los Angeles. I was living there at the time and I didn't want to be in a Gotham City type environment. And I threw everything in my car and I drove 2,000 miles south of the, of, uh, the border and have been in Mexico ever since.
0: Did you go down solo? You're, I know that you you mentioned that you're married now. Did you go down solo, and you, you found someone when you were living down there, or did your family come with you?
2: No, I, I went down solo. I was I was a young oh. whippersnapper at the time. So
0: just for, yeah. for you, how was how was that adventure? Like do, you drove from Los Angeles down to I mean Mexico City, or what part of the what part of the country?
2: I went to so there's a smaller town called San Miguel de Allende, which, by the way, we are okay. uh, bitcoinizing a lot. Um, I have a pretty big announcement uh, that will be making at an upcoming Bitcoin conference in Mexico City. I'll be doing a speech there. Um, But uh, yeah, moved in in a small town called San Miguel de Allende. It's about two and a half hours outside of Mexico City. Um, And uh, yeah, you know, since then, I I have a wife now. I have a little baby girl now, Um, and uh, life has continued smoothly. So, Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. how do you find? Uh, the process of um, Bitcoinizing a Latin American town. Like, do you find that people get it? Do you find that they understand it? I've heard that a lot of these developing countries they're super enthusiastic for, enthusiastic for Bitcoin because things work very differently than they do, you know, in a place like America. That there's that they understand more powerfully firsthand, you know, the destructive force of hyperinflation, and they understand more powerfully, like, no, this is mine, and no one can take it from me. Do you find that? What's the process like of, of, of bringing people up to speed in a place like that?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. It's a fascinating question. Um, a few things. So one, people in Latin America generally have a natural distrust for authority because of they've mm. they just been screwed over so many times. And, um, and I think Americans also have that too, but it's, the, the feel is a bit different in Latin America. Yeah. Um, And the corruption is a lot more open and visible. So uh, that being said, people, it it really depends. Uh, The younger generations are a lot more interested in Bitcoin and crypto, unfortunately, um, compared to the older generations, obviously. Um, That being said, you know, you have a country, Mexico, for example, they experienced hyperinflation in the 90s. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's really not that far away. That's thirty years ago, not a long time at all. And um, so, for a lot of people, that that memory is very fresh in their head. So, mm-hmm. bringing up the idea of a form of money that the government can't control, uh, that cannot be inflated past twenty one million, you know, there's only twenty one million that will ever exist. A lot of these things do inherently make sense to the people here in Mexico. Um, so, you know, and plus you have a huge billionaire here named, uh, Ricardo Salinas and he, everybody knows who that is. He owns a bank here called Banco Azteca. He owns a huge chain of stores called Electra. Um, he owns, I think he owns a, a company called Total Play, which is like an internet and entertainment company. And uh all of these companies that he has, they all accept Bitcoin now, except for the bank, because of regulatory reasons. So you can literally pay your oh. internet bill in Bitcoin. You can go to Electra and pay for a refrigerator or or a washing machine in Bitcoin. And it's it's all because this billionaire is um is a Bitcoiner and not and when I say Bitcoiner, I don't mean crypto as well. I mean solely Bitcoin. He really gets it. He's on Twitter shit posting all day about it. <laughs> Talking about the (laughs) Illuminati. (laughs) He's a very fascinating character. And I I think, you know, I mean, he's a billionaire, so you got to be skeptical. And I don't think you can get to that point without shaking a few hands. But that being Mm. said, I I think the kind of billionaire that he is is a bit different in Mexico versus the kind of billionaires that are in the United States. I'm not saying they're all good people in Mexico or anything like that. But uh, the man does speak a lot of uh, truth oftentimes. And, um, so yeah, you know, it's it's um it's a gradual process. I mean, like I said in, in San Miguel de Allende, we uh we've gotten I want to say about 20 businesses now, 15 to 20 businesses accepting Bitcoin. So uh hotels, restaurants, um t- tourism activities, you know, tourist guides, uh you can buy art. It's a big art town, so you can buy art in a lot of places with Bitcoin. Um so yeah, there's, there's a lot going on.
0: So you said his name is R- Ricardo Salinas?
2: Ricardo Salinas, yeah. He's got, wow. I think, 10% I mean, of his liquid net worth in Bitcoin.
0: That's, that's really um, that's encouraging to hear. Although I, I have a default skeptic, skepticism towards billionaires, for sure, it is positive to, to hear that that they're making progress, actually bringing it into on-the-ground economic systems. That it's not just something that's you know flying around on the internet. It's like, how can I actually make this useful? in my day-to-day life. I mean that's that's really exciting to me.
2: Yeah. You know, I, millionaires are generally people that were high IQ and hardworking and found a way to escape the matrix. Uh but billionaires yeah. are, you know, you should be a bit more skeptical of them. So I agree.
0: That's interesting. Say say more about that. That's I, I'd never heard that distinction before, but it makes sense to me on an, on an intuitive level.
2: Yeah. I mean I there's this whole, you know, the left has this idea. It's really envy and jealousy, and it springs from uh, negative emotions, but they, they think rich people are just somehow inherently bad. Um, yeah. And, I mean, I, I know I've met a lot of millionaires in my life, and uh, they're all pretty much good people. They employ a lot of people, um, and they're very intelligent. And uh, most of them, I know, grew up very poor. Um, with basically nothing, so I've never met any billionaires. Um, I know, you know, you look at like Elon Musk, and on the surface, he seems like some road billionaire that's uh, questioning authority and saying a lot of things people agree with. But I, I just don't see that at all. I mean, he hasn't run uh, a business without tons of of uh, government subsidies, and I, I just don't think you can get to that uh, level of power without having to be subservient to any authority. Yeah, that's
0: a really that's a really good point. You can achieve you can achieve multimillionaire status through hard work and innovation, networking. You I think you can do that, but yeah, there's a there's a this different species of of billionaires. That's like a that's like a thing. I think at that point you become so disconnected from reality almost intentionally. Like it's it's we hear these words billionaire. We hear this word floating around but what, it really, what does it really mean? What does it translate into the everyday life of an individual? And how do they achieve that rarefied air of having that status? I, I think the word has connotations, but it's almost impossible to imagine what the everyday life of a billionaire is truly like and how they got there.
2: Yeah, Yeah, well, definitely completely detached from reality, I would say, as most people know it. Yeah. So what's the so what's the
0: case for? So what's the what's the case for someone like a, a Ricardo Salinas being pro Bitcoin in his businesses? Because Bitcoin is so powerfully anti-authoritarian and decentralizing, and it seems like the the big thrust of billionaires is to centralize everything.
2: Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So, a few things. So one, uh, if you're if you actually do the homework on Bitcoin, you're you're going to See that it's not going away. So yeah. it, the way I see it is, it's uh, should be a to the if you can't beat it, join it mentality. Mm-hmm. That's one aspect. The other aspect is it's not like the man's a central banker, right? I mean, he 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 owns a lot of hard assets. I'm, I'm, I know he owns tons of real estate and and uh, things like that, which which go up in quote value because of inflation, right? Like, if you're a real estate investor in Los Angeles in the 1970s and you held property ever since then, you're going to be very rich right now. Um, Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's not like he's losing serious power. Uh, I I don't think you'd be losing serious power uh, through the money printer or anything like that. (laughs) Same case goes for politicians, too. People often are amazed that we have a lot of politicians in the United States now advocating for Bitcoin. Because there's historically been this fun about Bitcoin, well, the government can just ban it, um, so there's no point to using it. But uh, politicians also have incentives as well. They want to create local jobs. They want to increase tax revenue without pissing off their people. So that has to be done through larger economic development. Um, And you know, yeah, it's not like they're the central bankers. It's not like they're the ones losing the power over the, uh, digital printing press that we have today. So, uh, you know, I think it really depends. And plus, uh, just from a pragmatic number go up perspective, if, if you're a billionaire and you have 10% of your liquid net worth in Bitcoin, that is a lot of money that, that can, uh, can go up over time if you really see how scarce bitcoin truly is there's a great website for anybody listening i I recommend checking it out i think it's called satoshis per person or satoshi per person but it takes the amount of bitcoin and and uh, divides it by the amount of people on earth today so about eight billion and that's equivalent to about i think 0.002 uh Bitcoin, which is only about eighty U.S. dollars worth of Bitcoin, if you were to take the total supply and give it equally to everybody, that's only about eighty dollars worth of Bitcoin. So this whole idea of of uh, I'm too late to Bitcoin or anything like that, it's it's uh, absolutely nuts. And there's no such thing as being too late to Bitcoin. That's the same thing as as me saying that I'm I'm too late to the internet. I'm not going to use the internet because you know it boomed in the '90s, right? Or I'm too late to yeah. the car. Uh, Bitcoin is a long-lasting uh, utility that provides value for everyone. Okay? It's not a short-term fad. So I think that's a big important thing for a lot of people to, to grasp.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a bunch of the things I was trying to explain to the guys at my church. Like, You can't necessarily think this. think of this as a short-term investment property. It's a little bit different. Your mindset has to be different for it. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to kill. The, the game theory just does not work out in favor of of doing that you have to shut off the internet there are choke points but you can get around them and it's like to see the way was it you maybe it was you i think it was you that posted the dunning kruger effect applied to bitcoin did you was that your tweet yeah. yeah i sent that i sent that to the guys that i was talking to like here you go this is not that i'm accusing you guys of dunning kruger but <laughs> this is kind of the pattern of like you know from from not understanding it like wait there's there's more here no way Wait, yes. Oh my gosh, I better get into this right now. And that takes between like five and 20 hours, something like that.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it, the process takes years to, you know, I yeah. mean, for most people, they, they hear about Bitcoin, they don't really do anything. And then they hear about it again. And then they maybe read about it a little and then they buy some, but they also buy other cryptocurrencies because they want to quote diversify. And then they almost always lose a bunch of money on the other cryptocurrencies. And, uh, you know, they start reading about why Bitcoin only, and it's, it's a really long process to see why. And I understand why somebody would want to diversify too. It makes sense from a traditional portfolio management perspective. But, um, you start looking at all of these other cryptocurrencies and they have absolutely none of the qualities that, that Bitcoin does. So, and plus, you know, the idea of, of, um, I think Christians have a fear of Bitcoin because, uh, You know, they they can compare it to like the Mark of the Beast or the One World Mm -hmm. system and stuff like that. And from a Christian perspective, that's understandable. But practically speaking, um, it it is actually a huge inconvenience to have all these different forms of money. You go travel and, you, you know, you have to do a foreign exchange. And I believe the foreign exchange market is a $6 trillion a day industry. And there's literally no value being provided whatsoever in that, in that industry. It's just changing different forms of money. So the idea of having one form of money, which is not nationally restricted, uh, makes absolute sense. And it's actually very good for people because they can send money to family members overseas. They, they don't have to worry about anybody censoring a transaction. They don't have to worry about foreign exchange. It actually helps uh, people in a very large way.
0: That's interesting. You mentioned that because um, one of the things I was explaining to these guys was the difference between Bitcoin and crypto is that these other crypto projects are also heavily centralized, like Ethereum is running on Amazon Amazon servers, for example, whereas Bitcoin is decentralized all throughout the world. Yet the mark of the beast is the the, the whole point behind that, which I think is, sh- is a shared fear that many have, just in general, even outside the Christian world, is that they can just shut off your money if you don't want to play, if you don't want to play ball, if you don't want to put the pinch of incense. But you actually can't do that with Bitcoin at all. Like you can't shut off, you're going to shut off all of Bitcoin or you're going to shut off the entire decentralized network. So it's very anti-Mark of the Beast by its very
2: construction. It is. You, you look at China and China's banned Bitcoin like five times. They're one of the most powerful governments yeah. in the world. And uh, now they're even talking about you know uh, relinquishing the, the, uh, the recent laws that they put in pa- place the last couple of years. But... Um, yeah, you know, a government could ban bitcoin. That's the thing is the the question is, oh well, what if the government bans bitcoin? It's like which which government are we talking about here? Even if the entire United States government bans it, it's still going to survive. It's still going to live. It's still going to be in other countries. Th- that government is basically just banning itself from bitcoin, which is a horrible idea and will only make the intelligent rich people move out of your country and uh, you're going to uh is make major nation uh economically damaged um it's you know and then you look at China too and it's like okay well what is the relationship like with the internet it's uh it makes sense that they would ban bitcoin and implement cbdcs and have this great firewall of of china you know but that's not mm-hmm. uh an american thing to do america was at the birth of the internet america has all these tech companies america's Founded around freedom of speech, all these things. So the idea of the U.S. government banning it is is uh, just not feasible at this point, it, especially when you you take into consideration what uh, many politicians have been saying about it in the last few years. Um, I'll give one example: is we um, we made a website, uh, my company Bitcoin Reserve, called theyownbitcoin.com. Theyownbitcoin.com. and and what it is is a list of over 100 notable individuals who own Bitcoin and advocate for it. So it's uh, anything from corporate executives to politicians. And the names on that list are quite impressive. Um, mm-hmm. There are tons of U.S. politicians that advocate for it, own it. Ted Cruz is is one out of many that that uh, personally owns it. And Jerry Densler, chairman of the, the SEC, uh, has has publicly stated that Bitcoin is the only cryptocurrency he feels comfortable labeling as a commodity so it's the same classification that uh, gold is under gold is also a commodity so uh yeah it's 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 pretty interesting to see uh how bitcoin has progressed in the united states specifically
0: one of the things that i pointed out to these guys was that um when they ask bill gates what he thinks about bitcoin he give, he always gives these neutral answers and I think part of that is because if he says he's against Bitcoin, all the Bitcoiners will go yes, and they'll go buy. And if he says he's for it, then all the normies will go for it. So he maintains a neutral posture because we have a naturally more anti-authoritarian perspective in America, while many people do, right? And so it'll be very difficult for the government to just ban Bitcoin. Like, what would that even look like? I like, guess they could they could compromise the on ramps and off ramps, but there's always going to be ways around ways around that.
2: Absolutely, there are, and and uh, I mean. But it would be horrible if the government did ban Bitcoin. I mean, we all know what happened with marijuana when the government banned it. Nobody smokes weed anymore. So that's what
0: completely went away. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: I'm not advocating, peace, for marijuana. Weed, by the way. I think weed is, weed is <laughs> I know. not good. I know. Just saying. I know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If the government ever wants to make something spread, just declare a war on it, like the war on drugs or something right. like that. That's the sure that's the surefire way. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think that there's the political will to really do it anyway. Like we can barely we can barely pull together, you know, a functioning government now. I don't think banning Bitcoin is ever going to be high on the government's list of priorities.
2: No, uh, it makes much more sense for, at this point, the government to just embrace it. I mean, you know, maybe when Bitcoin first came out, they they should potentially do something because it was Satoshi and a few other cypherpunk nerds on the internet talking about this thing and running uh, the software and all that. But at this point, it, it is just not feasible in any way
0: so so you think it's ultimately just going to spread to the point where it just starts really squeezing the federal reserve like what do you because i started out saying that you know right now there seems to be this lull like there was a moment where bitcoin was not too long ago where a lot of stuff was happening and now it's like what is the next phase what is the next step like clearly it's stabilized i'm trying to figure that out for trying to figure that out for myself like it just seems like it could just spread but you know the the uh people are still talking about, oh, it's going to go to a million and all that stuff. Like, it doesn't really matter. I'm more interested, like, how are we going to replace the money system? Do you just see, like, a slow spread from here? Or what's what's the moment that we're experiencing in Bitcoin right now from your eyes?
2: Well, I mean, that's kind of in the territory of price. And and I, I never try and talk about price because everybody sure. is wrong when they talk about the price. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, I mean, how do I think Bitcoin adoption could play out? It, it's, it's a... Theoretical question, but uh, you know, you look at at the history of other fiat currencies, and they typically end with hyperinflation. Okay. Um, so I, I personally don't think the United States is gonna be experiencing hyperinflation anytime soon. Um, I used to be in kind of the doom crowd, Peter Schiff gold bug mentality, like we're gonna have hyperinflation, you better buy gold, you know, all this stuff. But um, mm-hmm. I think there's still a huge demand for the dollar and especially in Latin America, you see it everywhere. You can pay in dollars anywhere, not anywhere, excuse me, but you can pay for a lot of things in Latin America with dollars. Mm -hmm. Um, But so, you know, I mean, hyperinflation is is also, it's not out of the realm of possibility at some point. So that's one way. And when that happens, um, what, usually happens. I mean, this happened in Mexico when they had hyperinflation in the 90s. They'll phase in a new currency, phase out the old currency and say, okay, well, the old currency is redeemable for this amount and the new currency. People are still screwed, but they just have a new currency that wasn't, quote, hyperinflated. Um, (laughs) So that's one option. But under that circumstance, having a hard asset like Bitcoin or even gold, um, I think gold is getting demonetized especially with millennial generation inheriting tons of wealth over the next 10 years but um, having mm. hard assets even you know like tobacco or bullets or coffee or just things that are very hard to produce that a lot of people want right that's a good idea to have under hyperinflation the other the other possibility is that it's just a slow process um, I recently about a month and a half ago made a presentation titled, Why Bitcoin Beats Gold by 2030. And I talked about how the uh, millennial generation is is set to inherit a very large amount of wealth over the next 10 or so years. By 2030 is, is really a big uh, turning point. So Coldwell Banker, if I'm remembering correctly off the top of my head, Coldwell Banker did a study. They estimate that the millennial generation will inherit about $84 trillion dollars from the baby boomer generation. Um, and then another wow. study, I forget who did the study, but another study found it was gonna be like about sixty-five or seventy trillion. But you know the point, it's gonna be a lot of a lot of wealth that the millennial generation inherits. And when you take into consideration the sentiment that the millennial generation has compared to the baby boomer generation on Bitcoin, it is quite astounding. Um, so I know Devere Group uh, did a study. They found that two-thirds of millennials prefer Bitcoin over gold. Um, there was mm-hmm. another study, wow. I think, by the tokenist, uh, is, is the source I, I put in my presentation. But the tokenist found that, and their studies, and uh, which were about 5,000 participants in 18 different countries, found that the a mil- amount of millennials compared to baby boomers who prefer Bitcoin over gold is, is 10 times larger. Okay. Wow. So you looked at these numbers and it's, it doesn't take a genius to see, okay, well, there's going to be a massive wealth transformation by approximately the year 2030. And the generation that is inheriting trillions of dollars is a lot more warmed up to Bitcoin than the previous one. So that alone could be just a generational shift. Could really change a lot. That's a that's a, a pretty
0: astounding observation, actually, I, because I'm just kind of I think like many people living in this uh, you know default mindset, the baby boomers are clearly going to live forever. So, <laughs> you know. yeah. but there is that is a good that is a good point that um, that there will be that will be that shift. And I hadn't actually considered the massive amount of wealth transfer that would take place yeah. during that. It also makes sense why all the pushing for like death taxes and inheritance taxes because that was going on not too long ago. And now I understand why because some very smart people were looking at this and saying, well, there's a lot we can skim off of uh, off of that wealth transfer.
2: Right. Yeah, there is. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's the thing about Bitcoin is it's it's not like real estate or stocks or anything like that. You can just take your Bitcoin to a different country, which is not going to scrape away at uh, the money your your parents were trying to pass down to you and, and things like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. We're moving into a world where, you know, previously governments could clamp down on their citizens because they were geographically restricted. Uh, they own property, they own businesses, et cetera, in their nations. And now with the birth of the internet and the native currency of the internet, which is Bitcoin, people can, can vote with their feet and go where they're treated best. Um, so, it's going to change the the role of power a lot.
0: Can we talk for about central bank digital currencies for a second? Sure. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that a lot of people have been pointing out is that uh, Whole Foods now has palm scanners as an option for paying. I don't know if you've I don't know if you've seen that or seen posts about that, but my local Whole Foods has a palm scanner. I don't. I like <laughs> even the, the the checkout person was like, if you want to use this, and I was like. Hell no. <laughs> I, said it just, I said it just like that. <laughs> you know, That's the only way to respond to something like that. Yeah. But it, it sort of it raises the point that most of our transactions these days are digital. Who uses coins anymore? In fact, there was a video, I think it was out of the UK, of an old man who went to a grocery store, an older man went to an old, a grocery store and was paying in cash exact change, and they wouldn't accept his exact change. So he left it on the counter and walked out and was talking about tyranny and all that. It was like, good for that guy i think people can see the slow digitization of money and central bank digital currencies are not that far away so let's talk about that for a second as like okay maybe that could be a path to adoption like we can all see this happening right we can all see that all of our money is going digital fed coin i think i don't even know that it was a real thing it looked pretty real but how that's going to play out over the next 5 to 10 years or if it'll is it is it going to be one big push go ahead
2: go ahead yeah so you have well, the Fed coin thing. I mean, there—the majority of countries in the world today either uh, are talking uh, seriously and developing plans to implement a central bank digital currency, or already have implemented a central bank digital currency. Um, I know this was about eight months ago, or nine months ago, something like that. Uh, the U.S. announced a new system called Fed Now, which is basically an instant. Payment system. So you know, right now, if you want to make a wire transfer, it's going to take ridiculously long for the other party to receive the money. Um, should take yeah. 24 to 72 hours, or uh, even longer than that. Um, Fed now is similar to uh, in Europe. What they have is is called SEPA Instant. It is actually a convenient system. Um, SEPA Instant is not. They don't have their their own CBDC attached to it. Um, and it is a quicker form of payment, so and I know that because you know our Bitcoin reserve is based in Europe, and if somebody uses seba instant you're you're going to receive the money instantly, right so you don't have to wait wow. several days. Um, that being said, people are skeptical about Fed now and Sepa instant because that should be potentially laying the groundwork for some kind of CBdc um, or preparing people for it rather but um you know, ultimately, the question is: Is this good or bad for Bitcoin? And I, I personally think it's good for Bitcoin. I don't think sh- people are going to want to live in a world like China has, where you're you're geographically restricted if you, you know, ask the wrong questions about the government, and you can only buy certain things. And uh, I, I think that's a horrible dystopia. Um, so especially in America, are people going to want to live in that world? No, they're not. Uh, America has inherently a freedom loving culture. And uh, if we are moving into a world where things are becoming digitized, whether or not that is bad or good is a different question. But that's the reality is that's the world we're moving into Then, do you want to use the form of money that's going to Restrict your freedom or enable your freedom, and it's a pretty obvious answer. So, I think CBDCs are only going to increase uh, Bitcoin adoption over time. So, and you know, I also I'm not even sure that there. Who knows if a CBDC is even going to be launched? I know they've talked about it, but you had last year, I believe it was about a year ago, you had a Fed Federal Reserve President of the Bank of was, was it uh, his name is neil kashkari and uh mm-hmm. he, he uh he was he basically said that you know i understand why a cbdc would be launched in china but i don't see why everybody's talking about it right now in the united states it's it, it, it it's not an american uh it's not an american act um, and it was pretty interesting to hear a fed president say that i don't think he's He's this great guy or anything like that, but uh, maybe he, he let just some truth slip out there. But um, a CBDC would be very anti-American, and, and our money today is already anti-American. If you look at uh, article, yeah. article, one, uh, I got article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution that I'm holding in my hand, it uh, says that uh, our money should be coined from gold, uh, gold and silver. And that is not what we have today. So the money we're using is is uh, technically unconstitutional.
0: Oh, deeply so. And you can feel it. Like, like the book, Thank God for Bitcoin, lays out the moral case for why fiat currency is so corrosive across all aspects of society. I remember I read it and I was like, I could just see fiat everywhere. Fiat everything, fiat everywhere. And you feel the ways it's like, oh, if we can just print endless money with no essential value and people think that, it's spending it. Why not just give it away into absolutely useless projects and useless things and watch people in, overindulge themselves, and not to mention governments and corporations, overindulge themselves on this meaningless currency? What does that do to our society as a whole? It rots it. It rots it right from the center.
2: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. You just, just go on the website, uh, WTF happened in 1971.com yeah. and you see all these crazy things like birth rates are drastically lower. Uh, the age that people are getting married is way higher. Um, you know, fatherless homes increased all these signs of societal societal decay have noticeably increased since 1971 when the United States got off of the gold standard. There's no coincidence there.
0: No, especially because um, no-fault divorce was first signed into law in 1969, uh, which was by Ronald Reagan in California. And so no-fault divorce, um, for those listening who don't know what that is, it means that uh, either party of a marriage can just end the marriage contract without, without reason, without fault, not because of abuse or infidelity or anything like that. You can just decide, like, oh, I just want to get a divorce and just end the marriage contract. And so that's why women initiate something like 80% of divorces um and something like college educated women like ninety percent of divorces something like that it's it's crazy it's the same it's the same kind of thing that's why you get father single single motherhood fatherless homes et cetera like all these things are tied to the late nineteen the late nineteen sixties as well as abortion and everything it's just it's a disaster <laughs> thanks boomers
2: it is yeah it is a disaster yeah thanks boomers yeah yeah listen i mean i i um i know the tweet I put out was saying I'm no longer a Christian but I still agree with Christians on a ton of societal issues. Like I, I think abortion is yeah. horrible. I think divorce is horrible. I think you know I don't want a society full of broken families. I uh I agree with Christians on a lot of um of issues pertaining to morality and society. Mm-hmm. So well, let's
0: let's let's jump into it. Let's let's talk about the tweet. So first I, I just want to say, like, what in, what inspired it? Because you said, uh, I have it pulled up here. I've been meaning to post this for a while. Here we go. I am no longer a Christian. So, um, and so, I've I've read it. I've read I've read through it, and I think um, there are a lot of good things that I think you say in there. At all, a lot of really important things that you that you surface in there, and that's why that's why I reached out because I think you raised some very good points. But the, one of the things that stood out to me has been meaning to post this for a while. So clearly, you'd been thinking on it, sitting on it, ruminating on it. And you just decided to like send it. Like how, how how long is a while and when did the process start for you to begin asking these questions?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say nine months or so, to or take. Okay. And I'll tell you what, do you mind if I just read this tweet uh, for your listeners yeah. in case nobody has read it? I think it'll lay out a good groundwork and take you out just a couple of minutes. Sure, yeah. Okay, so yeah, here's the tweet. Been meaning to post this for a while. Here we go. I'm no longer a Christian. I've always pursued truth and can't force myself to believe things that don't make sense to me. There is no religion higher than truth. And I put a quote by Mark Twain, which is the best here for Christianity is reading the Bible. Mark Twain said that. Um, I grew up Christian. I went to Christian preschool, elementary school, middle school, and high school. Many people believe Christian ideology is good for society, but I simply do not think that anymore. Of Christianity are the perfect recipe for making docile citizens. It's extremely demeaning to both yourself and your ancestors to believe that we wouldn't have morality if it weren't for a certain butch that your ancestors didn't have morality until Catholics came and forced everyone to convert. Obviously, stealing, murdering, etc., are wrong. Every culture slash ethnicity had their own gods. My European ancestors and yours too will had their own gods, plus traditions, cultures, and customs. It is truly sad that my ancestral beliefs, cultures, and traditions have been completely lost as a result of being forced to worship somebody else's God, Yahweh. It makes a hell of a lot more sense to pray to my ancestors than praying to Yahweh. Christianity is the the original trust the plan where you do nothing. Love your enemy, hate your family, don't care about this world. Someone will come and save you. A defeatist mentality— Luke 14, 26 literally says, hate your family. Uh, Jesus said, if anybody comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And I said, now watch all the Christians cope and say I'm taking it out of context. I think Christians are often good, well-intentioned people. I just can't force myself to believe things that don't make sense to me. I tried. Here's the truth, whether you admit it or not. Nobody knows what happens when you die. I'm okay with that. Maybe we're not supposed to know. People get comfort in the idea of feeling like they have the answers. What happens when you die? What to do to be in a good place afterwards? I don't believe I, 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 don't believe I deserve hell for being honest with myself. And the reality is that nobody has any clue. And there is no religion higher than truth. So that's, uh, that's effectively a brief summary of why.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, so so again, I think you raise a lot of a lot of important points. I think the thing that stands out to me from the care, the, the overall character of the tweet, is a sense of moral outrage, um, and I don't necessarily mean towards Christianity, although there is that in there. I think that there's there's a frustration with the way things are, um, you know, socially, politically, economically, etc. And uh, and I think the the response is like. What, is, what does Christianity have to say about it? What is Christianity doing about it? Nothing. And so, you know, this, is, this, is, this can't be true or this can't be accurate because, uh, because of the outrage over, you guys are supposed to be the ones fixing all these things and you're doing nothing. And so uh, there, there's a, maybe perhaps there's a lie somewhere behind there. That, that was the overall character that I took in addition to all the individual points that you brought up. So I, I absolutely get it. And um, I, I'll leave it up to you where you'd like to start working your way through this, like what what you feel has the most energy. Because I've given some thought to it. So but this is your this is your um this is your response. So so you tell me like what's the most important aspect of that to you or where would you like to begin?
2: Uh I think one quote by Nietzsche is potentially a good place to start. Nietzsche said faith is not wanting to know what is true. And I mean again there there is the fact that nobody has any idea what happens when you die. You can believe you know, something that happens when you die. But, um, you know, nobody really knows. And it's, it's, um, additionally, it is an extremely difficult position to be in that I have basically publicly put myself in because I, you know, you and I basically don't know each other outside of this podcast, but like I, right. man, you know, I, I, um, I want to search for the truth. Like I want, I want to be an honest person Mm -hmm. with myself and with the world. And, Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I don't have bad intentions here. And, uh, I I I love a lot of Christians too. Like I, I don't, you know, it's not like I hate Christians or all these things, but, um, it's a horrible perspective to have on a person that if they no longer have your beliefs, they're being influenced by Satan which is effectively like that is the Christian view of me right now is that I've, I've been, I'm lost. You know, I've been deceived. I am under the influence of Satan. It's a horrible thing to perceive somebody else who doesn't have your viewpoints. And it's also, you know, you don't have to think about the incentives. Um, If as a Christian, you don't want to lose your faith because if you, there is a fear of losing your faith because, um, you know you have the fear of what happens when you die. And if you lose your faith, I mean, from the Christian point of view, you're you're probably going to end up in hell from the Christian point of view. Now I know modern Christianity, now it's it's kind of stating that uh, you might not go to hell if you're not a Christian, right? But um, historically speaking, that's been the case, and I would say many to most Christians still believe that you are going to hell if you're not a uh, Christian. Um, and that's a scary thing for a lot of people, and I think it's a very effective way to get people to uh not ask questions and you know you can ask mm-hmm. questions, that's fine, but if you come to a different conclusion or if things don't make sense to you, then uh <laughs> you know you're not one of us and and the thing that really frustrated me too is and you you had this response too a lot of people were telling me I was never a true christian, which I'm sorry it's absolute bullshit uh I was a tr- very devout Christian I've read a lot of the Bible. Um, I grew up in that environment. I really did believe that Jesus Christ was was the son of God and he came here to save us and die for our sins and all these things. But I I just do not believe this anymore. And I've read, you know, I've I've been very in touch with the Christian point of view. I have a previous friend of mine where, you know, I was asking these questions with him and basically I, I wasn't getting a satisfactory answer. And I got a book read, recommended to me called The Chase for Christ, which you hear a lot of Christians talk about The Chase for Christ. Yeah, Lee Strobel, right? Yeah, by Lee Strobel. You probably have yeah. it right there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's not That's a compelling right book to me. I'm sorry. It's not, I read the, the whole freaking book. It's not, it's not compelling to me. Um, I don't think the contemporary evidence of uh, the alleged life of Christ is compelling in any way. And even if that information in the case for Christ is legitimate even if we do have contemporary sources for the life of Christ which are long after Christ allegedly lived i mean it, am i going to hell or heaven dependent on my historical interpretation of something i mean is that really like the foundation of this belief where you know if, if i just perceive history a different way then i'm going to hell Forever, I think that's just, uh, I think that's abhorrent. Um, I've kind of thrown a lot out there, so I'll, I'll hand it over to you.
0: Men, stop me when this sounds familiar. Since 2020, you've felt isolated from friends, family, and coworkers around you. You've felt their beliefs and practices shift dramatically. You've had to avoid uncomfortable topics, and maybe as part of that, your beliefs have begun to fall more in line with biblical truth and less with your upbringing or culture. So you feel yourself separating from the men around you and that's left you on your own, but you don't know where to go because you're looking for more than just camaraderie. You want brotherhood and more than brotherhood, fellowship and more than fellowship, discipleship that helps you grow as a man. You've had that before in pieces maybe, or maybe you didn't realize that you needed it, but now the need is real and present and you're trying to do it on your own, and that's not working like you'd hoped. Enter my new men's group, The Council. This new monthly membership group is designed to help bring those missing pieces back into your life with a network of believing brothers around the country and ultimately the world. But The Council isn't like other men's groups. It's not a clubhouse. It's a place for dignity, excellence, and Christian fellowship. It's a space for men to draw strength from, to bring those virtues back into their lives. So if you're a man 18 years or older, and a Bible-believing Christian at any stage of life looking to grow in strength and virtue, the Council is the place for you. There are a number of member benefits I'm very proud of, including regular Bible studies and online meetups, the ability to send me questions from my Ask Me Anything episodes. You can listen live as I record my podcasts in real time, plus get discounts on my revamped membership program coming soon, and I'm planning for much more. The group is barely a couple weeks old, and I'm thrilled with how the men are coming together and the diversity of backgrounds and interests represented in the room. So if you want a men's group that puts God and Christ at the center, the council is for you. There might be a man in there you can learn from or a man who can learn from you. And if you'd like to know more, visit renofmen.com council. Once again, go to renofmen.com slash council to learn more about the group and how you can be a part of it. Oh, for sure. I, I completely get it. So there's a, there's a lot that's, um, that's wrapped up in there. Um, and there are a lot of different pieces to kind of pull apart that, that sort of get to the nature of the argument. So I think the first thing that I want to, that I want to pull on is that the re, the Christians truly devout and believing Christians. Um, I think, and I, I'm, so first of all, I'm not Catholic. I'm from the reform Protestant tradition, reform theology. I think you might really like Reformed theology. I think Reformed theology is absolutely capable of answering every single one of your questions and then some for a lifetime. So um, many Christians uh, who grow up, we'll call them nominally Christian, meaning like Christian families, Christian practices, et cetera. They're part of some non-denominational church, right? Um, Rather than usually in America, like some form of Baptist or Pentecostal or something like that, or Charismatic. Um, now, reform theology is very, very different. Um, it's what you might have heard described as Calvinism. Um, that's a that's a theological position, not necessarily a denomination. Reform theology stands in contrast, also, to Roman Catholicism, which you mentioned in the tweet. Um, and so, and so, the position that I'm uh, standing in is reform is is a reform theological position, which I think can answer many of your questions. So, the first thing is why the question of why to believe. I don't think that telling people that you're going to hell if you don't believe is a compelling reason. I think it was effective for, um, particularly in America, with the sawdust and tears, revivalism, where America was spreading westward and they were so concerned with winning souls over to Christ that they scared them into the hands of a loving God. That's actually what happened. But I don't know that that necessarily works for people who want to look past the emotional arguments. For something, right? It's like, okay, there's obviously and and so and so we're clear, I don't interpret any bad intent in those tweets at all. You weren't, for example, blaspheming, you know, the Holy Spirit or blaspheming God. You weren't putting up pictures of all these sacrilegious, terrible things of Christ. You're just saying, I have questions and I want these questions answered. I think that's a very good thing. And that's why I responded the way that I did, because I I I consider you asking questions from a sincere place. And so that's a, that's a man that I can communicate with about it. And so um, I think you're right in that scaring people with the image of hell and get a, in order to get them to behave is a caricature of Christianity. and I don't think that's what Christianity truly is. In fact, I know that's not what it is. What Christianity truly is, is a heart transformation. Uh, it's in, I believe it's in Ezekiel. I will take from you this heart of stone and I will give to you a heart of flesh. Sanctification and regeneration where you become uh, reconciled to God and your interests change organically from the inside out. You do it out of love for God, not fear of hell. And the way that Christianity often gets portrayed in America, particularly culturally, is behave or else you'll go to hell. That's not what Christianity is. What Christianity is, a love for God that leads to a heart transformation and a new sense of behavior that leads you closer to God and further away from hell.
2: What do you think happens to somebody that has uh, heard the message uh, story of Jesus and rejects it when they die? The story the story of Jesus? Yeah, I mean, somebody that's been uh, exposed to, I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about some random kid in Africa that's never heard about Christianity. Somebody that grew up in America um, had the, quote, opportunity to accept Jesus and denies jesus
0: so from the reform from the reform theological perspective um in adam right during the uh during original sin all of humanity fell right all of humanity fell when adam when adam uh, sinned and uh from that point forward everyone every single person for humanity deserved hell
2: right instantly. That was, that was the fault. I already just because I, I, I got to chime in here. I already think that alone is a horrible worldview. I really do. I, I don't think that. It? Yeah. I, I think it's, um, th- so there's it, this theme of Christianity part? of, you know, I'm not worthy and, and, uh, we're just inherently bad. I, yes. I don't think that's true. at all. I don't think we're inherently perfect either, but I think it's a very, uh, demeaning worldview to have. And it's actually, and it's so, very so, different from, from the religion of or the beliefs that our ancestors had, uh, you know, they, the paganism is seen as like a horrible, dirty word that's associated with child sacrifice and all that stuff. But if you actually read Nordic mythology and, and look into that worldview, they did absolutely none of that. Um, and the idea of getting on your knees and begging God for something and thinking you're unworthy is, is very looked down upon. And,
0: uh, you don't. You don't have to. This is the thing: is, is there is no amount of begging that we can do to bring us into reconciliation with God. And and so and so. So you know my background. I think this will be really important. I did not grow up Christian. Uh, I I grew up Jewish. Actually, I was bar mitzvahed. You know, went to Israel. Everything. And then I spent twenty years exploring religion and spirituality around the world. I've traveled to more than thirty countries. Been to religious festivals. Ayahuasca. You know, China, India, et cetera. Interesting. So I explored. Yeah. So I explored all the world religions. I've done Buddhist meditation in the mountains and in Kashmir. Like, so I've done all the things. You right? got so red hair speak. and blue
2: eyes, man. I didn't, I wouldn't have thought you'd grow up Jewish. <laughs> Interesting.
0: Uh, well, we could talk about that. Yeah. <laughs>
2: That's
0: another thing. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, so I, I want you to know that all of these perspectives. Um, that I, I lived in them for a very long period of time. So for example, the, the, the central challenge of original sin is that um, we, are, we are wicked at our core, that if you go down far enough, you will find some essential corruption within us as beings, right? Now, that's, that's what original sin says. We could talk about total depravity, you know, this notion, this, notion, this notion that sin affects all aspects of our being. That doesn't mean that we are all criminals, right? That doesn't mean that we're all psychopaths but it means that, that at the core of all of us is a, is a deceitful, wicked heart that we struggle against through our whole lives. Okay, that's the Christian perspective. From the New Age perspective, um, uh, which I would def- define as the, the broad re- uh, scope of religion that's outside of Christianity, uh, it's that we are essentially good and, uh, and our systems make us bad, our world makes us bad. And if we just express ourselves more and more freely and more clearly, we will reveal our essential goodness. So these two perspectives are in opposition to each other. And and what I can tell you is I lived for a very long period of time believing that people were essentially good at their core. In fact, believing that about myself. Um, And and that doesn't mean that that at the core of me that I'm a, a psycho killer waiting to come out, right? But what it means is when I took a real honest look at myself and I saw the ways that I was behaving in contradiction to my own values and my own stated goals despite myself that no matter what i did i could never force myself to perform, perform think feel act in a 100% moral way that was when i understood the truth of original sin that we struggle against our own innate wickedness that we will never overcome under our own strength and that stood in stark contradiction which says if i just try hard enough i will release my essential goodness and become a good and become a good person right a perfectly good person these two things are going in absolute opposite, opposite directions. And it's very difficult. It was very difficult for me to be honest with myself about my own, my own wickedness. But when I was finally able to get there and recognize that, um, that was when I realized that salvation is available for that. And that's why it exists. That's the, that is the message. It's not that, again, we're all psycho killers and we need, we need God to come in and rescue us from being, from being like psychopaths, right? Right. It's that within ourselves, we struggle against this aspect that never lets us be as moral as we're capable of being. And that's what we need Jesus to help us accomplish, the love of
2: God to help us accomplish. Yeah, I, I just don't, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't have that belief. I, I mean, human beings have always struggled with good and evil, and we've had different, different interpretations over time of what good and evil is. But uh, I don't think you need the God that. of Israel I don't, I, I don't to be a moral that. person. I mean, we had morality before no, I, Christianity. I agree with you on that. You look at, uh, I mean, even the word virtue comes from uh, Rome. It means virtus. And uh, we had, there's also this, you know, I, I, I know, I believe you're pretty big on Western civilization, and, and there's this argument that we wouldn't have the West if it weren't for Christianity, and I totally disagree with that. I think the West succeeded in spite of Christianity, and we had virtues, we had morality, We had beautiful architecture. We had all the things the West had before Christianity. And I think that, you know, if you look at the collapse of the Roman Empire, it coincided at the same time as the spread of Christianity because the beliefs of Christianity were effectively the opposite of the beliefs of of the Roman Empire. Um, so I am curious too, just so I know
0: well, that's I have uh, some, so just, just, to, just to interrupt that real yeah. quick, you can read, uh, Gibbon's decline and fall of the Roman empire, which, um, perhaps one of our mutual friends on Jim Clare, uh, mutual friends on Twitter, Jim Clare just finished that entire volume series. And, and that series goes into quite detail about why it wasn't Christianity that caused the collapse of the Roman empire. That was far more complicated
2: and there are more factors to it. I mean, maybe there were, but I just think if you have, uh, society of people that have warrior culture and they're willing to fight for the world and uh, you know they have uh, their own gods that they worship and all these things that's pretty different from Christianity which is the, I mean the, the Bible talks about how you should not fight for this world how you should fight for the world to come and you know you should give away all your possessions and so I did want to ask you real quick. <laughs> all though these,
0: all these things are all those things are not accurate, accurate interpretations. But please continue with your question. Like I get it. I, I believe me. I understand. And it's a frustration that many people have is that they they believe that Christianity is fundamental as it's manifesting today as a gnostic religion. In fact,
2: actually, um, okay, John I, two can, fifteen through seventeen. I mean, at at what point I can pull up tons of verses? At what point yeah, am fine. I teaching this out of context? I mean, do you not love the world no, or read the it. things of the world? If anybody loves the world the love of the Father is not in him. I love this world. I love having material possessions. I need to have material possessions. I have no shame in that. I want to have resources. I will fight for my resources. I will not let anybody Mm -hmm. con for me. I will fight for this world. You know, I mean, the Bible is... You're allowed to do that.
0: You are allowed to defend yourself. You're allowed to defend your family. You're allowed to defend your property. You're allowed to defend these things and you're not supposed to just simply submit yourself to destruction. What we're talking about is the greatest commandment so love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, mm-hmm. right? So at the end of that is also love yourself, right? So let's be clear. So it's, a, it's an ordering of affections. That love of God comes first, right? That's the first thing that you should love. And if you love the, the material world more than you love God, then your, then your affections are disordered, right? The material world is meant to be enjoyed, Man, woman, we were made to take dominion, be fruitful and multi- multiply. We weren't commanded to just kind of uh, transcend reality and, escape, and escape, uh, escape this physical prison. That's the Gnostic perspective. The, the realities we are supposed to tend for, care for, steward this world and enjoy it because it was declared very good. But if you make that, declare, that, that enjoyment of the world first and foremost of your life above loving God, then your affections are disordered. And that does lead to destruction.
2: Yeah, I, I just can't see how, uh, you know, you, it, how does it not change society in a very vast way when you have a group of people, uh, that their gods, I mean, first of all, everybody had their own gods, right? I mean, each culture, each ethnicity had their mm-hmm. gods, their traditions, their customs. Um, and Yahweh is the jealous God. The God of Israel's is the jealous God. And one of the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Uh, you you have this theme of idol worship throughout the Bible and it it has a negative connotation, but I mean, the Romans were technically Mm -hmm. idol worshipers uh, because Mm -hmm. they weren't worshiping the God of Israel. But, uh, you know, Yahweh, uh, the the jealous God, uh, under the story, obviously, I don't actually believe this, but Yahweh wants everybody to worship Him, which involves letting go of your traditions, letting go of your cultures, um. I find that to be a very sad thing and I, I can't help but see how, you know, you have a strong Roman pagan empire focused on warrior culture, you know, from worshiping gods that were warriors themselves to a God that literally did not fight back at all and got killed. You know, and I know the common, probably you you might respond by saying, well, Christ defeated death and all this stuff. But, um, I think that vastly changes society a lot, you know? um, and I did want to ask too, just just out of curiosity, do you have I mean you got red hair and blue eyes? Are you a hundred percent Jewish? Or do you do you have are you like half you know European background or what what's your Yeah, all, all, all four of my grandparents were Jewish, so yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. So okay, so maybe with Nordic mythology you don't have as much of a connection as I do. But um it it is I, I find it sad that uh, you know, my the way that i viewed my european ancestors you view your ancestors in a positive way so do i right but um there are so many people of european descent like myself who view their ancestors like they were just horrible people doing child sacrifices and worshiping idols and i think that's extremely sad you know and it's not I mean, true at all I, you look at you read the Poetic Jetta, you read you read old manuscripts of nordic paganism and they had uh, strong reality at the time. You had the Roman Empire observing uh, Germanic tribes having, um, having uh, uh, monogamous uh, lifelong relationships, right? So y- you
0: did have... Well, you also, had, you also had some pretty deviant, crazy sexual practices going on as well all throughout the Greek and Roman Empires. You know, temple prostitution, child, the child sacrifice, uh, abortion. All of these things were allowed and all of these things were, were permitted you know, and, and I can love my ancestors just like I can love my parents and grandparents and still say that they were wrong about things.
2: No, but, but it, your unloving. ancestors are different it's from mine. You, you got that, the, you got the chosen well, status though. Your ancestors are different from mine. My I mean, ancestors are the dirty page and idol worshippers, right? I mean, you, I don't know
0: that I would, I don't know that I would, I don't know that I would say that. Like, like you go back, you gar, go back far enough in, in anyone's life, like, you know, and you find, and you find the same level of, um, We'll call it uncivilization, right? You don't have to turn back the clock very far. So, like whether whether I root my, you know, my my ancestors in Germany and Russia, and yours you root yours in you know Norway or Finland. I don't I don't know that it matters so much. Like I'm capable of looking back on my ancestors wherever they come from and saying like I'm grateful for you, and there are things about uh, life and reality that you were wrong about, and those both those things can live equally and be equally true.
2: Okay, but the, the Bible. Views your ancestors as as I would say a higher playing field than than mine because mine were according to the the you know Yahweh point of view Yahweh worshipping point of view mine were uh, you know idol worshippers yours were not but
0: that's that's actually that's actually not precisely true I understand what you mean um, but in fact um, if we uh, if we take my ancestors as being the Jews. By the time that Jesus came, the, the Jewish religion had become impossibly corrupt with the Pharisees. And they had actually, they were, they were given custody beginning um, beginning with Abraham and going through the patriarchs and then into Moses. They were given custody, carry God's law forward until the time when I fulfill it, right? And that Christ was the fulfillment of the law. And so when when Christ came, the Jews had, had done such a bad job of custodying the law that actually if you read Romans 9, 10, and 11 you see that god was pretty upset at the jews and the 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 jews were cast off so that the gentiles could be welcomed in so there's there's no a favoritism going on here at all in fact if we call my my ancestors the jews god was pretty mad at them for not doing a particularly good job but it wasn't the first time in 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 bible history where that was the case so it's it's not that there's a there's a judgment in fact salvation through christ was a gift was a gift extended to the gentiles and it wasn't there what it wasn't this judgment to the way that that you're describing it
2: yeah, I, I I just don't um, see it that way. I mean, if if God wants to save as many people as possible, which I know you believe that He does, then wouldn't He make it more clear? <laughs> I mean, how is there so much room? I was watching a video if God, about that today. If, if Jesus wants to save everyone, right? Why 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 is there no uh, you know truly legitimate contemporary information about all of these apparently miraculous things that happen? Why? Why is there so much room for debate? Why would it be so ambiguous? If we're talking about God being the king of the universe, then it should be abundantly clear, okay, this is the case, this is true, this actually happened. I mean, there wouldn't be so much room for interpretation. I find that problematic in itself. Secondly, you know, you, I, I okay, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I, I can't speak for, I don't have, uh, you know, breach Greek ancestry any, anything for that. It's not as interesting to me. Same yeah. Same thing with, you know, Jewish ancestors, it's just not my ancestry, right? But I can tell you that uh, these these myths that Christians commonly believe about paganism were not the case in Nordic mythology. Um, so, you know, uh, they, they had sexual virtue as well. You know, it's not like women were running around being hoes and men were just, you know, having orgies everywhere. And it's, it's really not the way it was. Um, and additionally, the, the God of Israel is... Um, I don't think, uh, I don't think virtuous. I don't think it's, I mean, how is it virtuous? You're talking about child sacrifice. Didn't God command, uh, was it Isaac um, or either Abraham or Isaac to uh, sacrifice his own son? And then at the very last minute he said, no, but he, I mean, how how is that moral in any way to, to um, tell somebody to sacrifice their own son? I think that's insane. I also think it's insane to cut part of the penis off of an 8-day old baby. I don't see how
0: I, I do th- I also think that's insane. I'm I'm not in favor of circumcision. Right, but
2: but the problem is that you affirm that that was legitimate at one point in time as a Christian because yeah. you affirm the Old Testament, which has has truth sure, that, that was commandment. that was a,
0: that was appropriate. That was appropriate for God as a sign for his covenant people to be set apart. And that was that was one of the um that was one of the high prices that they paid to be To be part of God's promise. Okay, so let's just
2: think about this situation. So Abraham is in the desert, and he hears the voice of God. Like, let's say we're with Abraham. All right, we're we're in the desert with with Abraham, and Abraham comes to us and he says, "God told me to cut the tip of the penis off of eight day old babies." The
0: adults had to go through it too.
2: Okay, I'm not going to be with Abraham after that. I don't know about you, but if some if someone is telling me I heard a voice in my head and it was God, and I'm going to cut part of the dick off of uh, my baby and you actually, (laughs) as an adult, I'm not going to associate with that person. I mean, is this really what the chain of the we're talking? Is this really what God wants? How does this make any sense?
0: Right. I mean, I, I think trying to trying to make God make sense to us is a, is going to be a losing proposition because God is the creator of the heavens and the earth and we can't possibly understand him. And I think that's that's a big part of the challenge is that people want to make God make sense to humanity and it's not possible for that to be. It's not possible for that to happen.
2: So we, we no, shouldn't, we shouldn't we use possibly. logic or, or, or try and have a belief system that makes sense. I mean, we should believe in a God no, that I mean, we've never is, talked is, to, we've never seen. We should believe a book written thousands of years ago which has tons of contradictions, and I mean, how is this not problematic?
0: Right, so so actually, it's funny that you mentioned the contradiction of the Bible. I was actually watching a video about that today from, from Mike Winger. So the, the first thing to, to keep in mind is, is, that, um, is that God is the creator of heaven and earth, and it's not like uh, uh, and, and man and, and woman as well. It's not as if Abraham said, I just heard this voice in my head. When God wants to communicate with us, he lets us know, and there's not really a whole lot of doubt. So it's not like Abraham was just chilling one day, and he had this thought like, oh, I think I'll just go sacrifice my son because the voice in my head said so. Abraham was called to go conduct the sacrifice because he was certain in his faithful heart that that was what God, the, of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, had commanded him to do. Now, Abraham went up there in faith and didn't and fully expected that God would redeem whatever it was. He thought maybe, uh, maybe his son would come back to life or whatever, but he did it out of faith in God because, again, the first greatest commandment, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And so he knows, like he knows on some intuitive level that hadn't yet been commanded yet because that was Christ in the New Testament who spoke those words, but he understood his affections were rightly ordered. And when the creator of heaven and earth and the creator of you commands you to do a thing, you do it in a spirit of faith. Right? Now the the man who did actually sacrifice his son for the good of all was God. God sacrificed his own now, son. why why does God have to do that? Why
2: why if he's God, he shouldn't he be able to just forgive everybody? Why does he have so to then kill he wouldn't his own be
0: son? Like <laughs> then he wouldn't be just. And, and then also why why does God demand
2: animals animals to be sacrificed? Why why does God want uh to have animals killed? Because I mean, is he not well, it's able not, to it's just not about forgive people? To me this seems like the, just bronze age religion you know barbaric practices superstitions i i think we need to to think about things I mean, logically talking, here and, about and just move paganism on paganism
0: and god's word so 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 um so what is the standard that we're operating by is the standard is a standard civilization like quote-unquote civilization because you said it's bronze age but you want to go back to to uh pagans. Like I'm just saying. I'm just saying
2: that the 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 understanding the that Christians though. have of paganism is totally wrong of Nordic paganism, at least.
0: Well, so, but but if we're talking that 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 what appears to be barbarism is the standard, you're appealing to an equally barbaric but different standard. I'm not right. I'm not. At all I mean, all. like, I mean, like the, the, these pagans that you're talking about, yeah. like. The, the 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 myth of the noble savage is not and has never been a thing. It has never been a thing. These ideas, these ideas that these these individuals back at the time were somehow more just and noble than we are today, right? And and we've just erased their history because of
2: uh, that's because exactly of what Christian happened. Thing. Yeah, paganism was made illegal. Yeah. Iceland the, was the last country to have legal form of quote paganism. I mean, it was it was forced sure. conversion and our history has been basically erased in many ways. And the remnants that we have of it, the stories that have been passed down in private from people worshipping European gods in their own homes are not in any way the case of what you are claiming. There was no child sacrifice, there was no, you know, blood orgies, any of this bullshit in uh Scandinavia. It's not true. So so Christians just haven't so, read so, about it because they're reading so, the God of Yahweh. Okay, so now we're reading z-
0: about somebody else's God. Now we're zeroing in on to, on to what your standard is because this is what I'm trying to figure out. So, so you're comparing Christianity to some standard and you, and you um, believe that Christianity doesn't meet that standard. So I'm trying to understand what that standard is. So now the standard is pagan peoples in Scandinavia in, in what century? Like what time frame are we talking about? like the, this is the standard by which by which christianity is being measured by who, let's talk about who these people are if they if they they are the one solid standard by which everything else can be judged who are like paint the picture of who they are
2: what do you what do you mean they're the one solid standard by everybody else can be judged
0: so you are criticizing christianity because um, and particularly in the old testament because it seems barbaric right that's a, that's a that's a value judgment i think judgment.
2: the old testament so, has a lot of uh, barbaric things in it like Just a few things that I mentioned. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, I would say to you that, um, so why, so something being barbaric as a standard, something, something being barbaric is bad. So we want to find a standard, a culture that was not barbaric. And the one that you seem to be proposing as, as being more righteous and more virtuous and no more noble than Jewish or Christian society is, uh, this Icelandic culture. So let's talk about who they are and how and how this Icelandic culture became the standard by which um, uh, uh, Hebrew culture and, and Christian culture have been judged. Why is that the standard?
2: Well, I'm not saying Icelandic culture was, uh, you know, uh, except, well, I, th- I think it was, I would prefer to live in Icelandic culture compared to uh, Jewish culture, ancient Jewish culture for sure. Um, I'm not saying that Icelandic culture today is the standard by, I've never claimed that that's the standard by what everybody should be living by today. I believe that if you're talking about deriving morality out of things, I mean, you commonly hear Christians say, well, how are you going to have, what's your basis for morality? If you don't have uh, some kind of foundation, my basis for morality is my brain, just as yours is. And everybody, everybody else's basis for morality is their brain. Um, I, don't, yeah,
0: that's, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty fluid standard, though. right? Well, yeah, because, that's why you have, have not, tons we, of
2: denominations of Christianity and Judaism, and everybody thinks not, that they're right, and everybody else is wrong, and the Catholics are wrong, and the Protestants are right, and the Orthodox are, I'm Orthodox, I'm right, everybody else's denomination is wrong. It's because we're all using our own brains, and, and we have our own subjective opinions.
0: Right. I, th- I think the, the question about Christian denominations is a little different because what we're trying to figure out, you and I, is where the stand where, where any standard for morality comes from beyond subjectivism. So you say that your standard is your brain. Cool, I get that. As but as a guy is who lives yeah.
2: You're using your brain no, to believe sta- that the moral moral standard of the Bible is is the proper moral standard, but you're still choosing to do that with your brain.
0: I mean, I, I, I choose to do everything throughout my day with my brain. I don't really, I don't really mean like I choose to drink this glass of water with my brain, right? But when we're talking about morality, um, we're talking about a standard that, uh, that either everyone is held accountable to, which is moral objectivism or moral relativism, right? So if, if you're putting forth a, a standard of moral relativism where what, what Andrew Howard's brain says is true and good and right is what's true and good and right, right? And so what if the guy next to you I don't know, whatever his name is, he has a different set of standards. How do you decide who is true, whose standard, whose moral standard is true and good and right between the two of you? Especially if you get into conflict, right? Where like is is because his standard is true and good and right? Does that make it true and good and right? Because <laughs> his stands directly in contradiction to yours.
2: Uh, yeah, that's that's the uh, debate that human beings have been having since the dawn of our since our inception. Uh, and morality has changed what is commonly understood as morality has changed throughout society as well over time even in the bible king solomon had like 700 wives and today that's not more morally- he
0: was punished for that
2: <laughs> he was punished for that okay well Very badly, there, there are a lot fact, of punished- godly figures in the he bible who had multiple wives morality has even changed throughout the bible as well uh you even mentioned God. yourself God. in circumcision God. so morality is is off it's Basically, societally dictated. I mean, dictated. I didn't. I couldn't
0: make that choice.
2: Morality <laughs> wasn't. Yeah, morality is <clears throat> dictated by what society collectively agrees. And okay. the use of force, so. the use of force, is completely contingent upon what we believe morality is. If somebody believes it's moral to go kill and rape a bunch of babies, eventually that person should and probably will be killed themselves because society believes that that is wrong. So right. if, if, everybody, uh, if an entire you know, society, can, we have general things is... that we commonly agree upon, like rape is wrong, murder is wrong, things like this. We have general thing. I mean, we also have, I think, unless you're an absolute psychopath, you think those things are wrong. And I don't think you need uh, an ancient, you know, Bush to, to, to have that understanding. I mean, I think it's almost like denying i think it's very denigrating to yourself actually that you you would just go murder and kill people if you didn't have uh the bible i think that's not okay and there are a lot of people who aren't religious who also still have morality and monogamous relationships and families and mm-hmm.
0: absolutely so i, I want to paint another picture for you but just just to just to check and see if if um if uh what society determines is moral if you if you if that's really true so if we draw an imaginary circle around uh, and, and create a country in the, in the middle of nowhere, you know, pick wherever in the world, and this society determines that it's right to um, kill and eat babies, now they've collectively determined that amongst themselves. Does that make killing? In fact, if 100% of people on earth decide that killing and eating babies is the way to go, does that make killing and eating babies right? Uh, no. No. It doesn't. So Okay, so there's an objective standard for morality. Because if 100 people on Earth, 100% of the people around the world, determine that killing and eating babies is right, it's, and it's still wrong, then there's a standard for morality that exists outside of what people determine is true. Uh,
2: well, the people that theoretically in this situation believe that it's okay to kill uh, babies, they would also believe that their subjective version of morality is objective.
0: I mean, but but we're asking we're asking a question about this hypothetical society. Like, does society collectively unilaterally get to determine morality, or does it come from someplace else?
2: Just because hundred percent of people agree something is right doesn't doesn't mean it's right. I don't. Good, that's the right answer. Okay. <laughs> like that. That's the right. That, yeah, exactly. Okay, but they're so, going to so, believe so, that it's right. They believe it's objectively objectively right. So it I is mean, subjective. but. So whoever has I mean, the biggest sword and can dictate morality is the one who is going to dictate morality. So okay, so morality is dictated by power. Yes,
0: right. It is. It okay, so, has so, been. so okay, uh, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that we necessarily want to want a world where that is true because I don't That's believe happens with Christianity.
2: Right. That's what happened with your worldview no. is is it was forced upon. That's <laughs>
0: Uh, and that I that I don't agree with because I don't believe that's how Christianity should spread. But I don't get to determine the course of history. Christianity spreads by changing people's hearts. By as I started the conversation, saying I will take from you a heart of stone and give to you a heart of flesh. That's how that's how Christianity is meant to spread. Faith comes through hearing. You hear the gospel and have an inner heart transformation that makes you desire God. Now Roman Catholicism, being essentially a, an ecclesiological monarchy right, that spread like any other empire, that was the unfolding of history, but I don't, and I don't believe it necessarily created the kind of mass conversion that, uh, that it claims that it did. It didn't create heart transformation in people, perhaps in some that it did, but I don't, I don't believe that's how Christianity is meant to, is meant to spread. And, but then again, we are, we're also getting into another contradiction of your own stated values, where if, if morality is created by power, well, Christianity was pretty powerful and conquered the world, so why is it bad? most powerful religion. <laughs> it conquered your people, right? So like, why is it suddenly bad that it conquered your own people? Shouldn't you be celebrating the destruction of your people by a more powerful That's force? It's
2: just like saying the U.S. government is good because they've conquered much of the Middle East.
0: Well, I mean, if you're, if you're saying that power, power determines morality, then like if something's powerful, then whoever has the, the most amount of power
2: morality. will dictate in society what is moral. That doesn't mean that it's actually moral, but that is often okay. how society widely recognizes morality is because cool. who has the most amount of power. Uh, that's also,
0: well, what you just said is also that how we recognize immorality, right? Is, it's how we recognize immorality. It's like, wait a minute. If I say that this large, powerful organization is doing something that I regard as immoral, like conquering the Middle East, but they're powerful by virtue of power being the highest morality, then what they're doing is moral. But if we can look at it and say that's immoral, where does that sense of morality come from, if not power? Where else is it coming from?
2: Again, from my, do, do, you, do, you, do you think that, people who aren't christian are just going to go out and i mean under this logic people who aren't christian have no morality they're going to go murder babies they're going to be in this hypothetical so do you not think that I we inherently think. generally speaking have an awareness of of morality like what, what I do
0: and the and the question that i'm asking is where does that come from
2: i don't know i mean i i would say my brain because my I brain do. is like, what dictates you don't know you do, you have absolutely no idea you don't know anything you, know, you have no idea. You have no idea what happens when you die. You've never talked to this God that you believe in. You've, you've never met anybody who's seen this God. You don't know. You have the same amount I mean, of knowledge that I do. I, the difference is I don't believe you're going to hell because you don't have my belief system. That's the difference, which I would say is immoral to have that belief system. Um, so and it's incontrovertible it to say that whoever has the most amount of power can dictate what society uh, generally recognizes as morality. That's, that's, if you disagree with that, you're arguing with literally all of human history. And just because somebody is powerful, doesn't mean their version of morality is correct, but you can get society to believe that, you know, your version of morality, if you can force people to, to conduct their life in your belief system.
0: So if, can something be moral if it isn't correct? can you have an can i mean like yes you can technically call it a moral system but a behavior that a behavior that is Im, that is immoral cannot by nature be correct yeah it's 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 a moral system in some in some sense but it's not truly moral
2: with a capital m can something be moral if it's i think you're getting see this is the problem with christian we well, are getting about- way too much into the semantics how it, y- y- your moral foundation is you know y- y- you don't <laughs> I don't think anybody truly knows where this comes from. You can say that, you know, you can believe that, you know, but you don't know you're using your brain just like I am. And you also have no idea what happens when you die. It's the opposite of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is don't trust, verify Christianity, Abrahamic religions, all religion, including Nordic mythology is trust. Don't verify. And how, how is this not a blatant
0: contradiction? It's, that's faith, because we're talking about two different things. We're talking about the things that are unseen, the immaterial realm, right? Which, which can't be seen with the eyes. Faith comes by hearing, right? It doesn't come by seeing, right? So we're talking about two different things. So faith in the material world versus faith in, in we might say, the, the immaterial world, the higher reality, the things of spirit, that's a, that's a matter of faith. You can verify what's physically real, but faith comes by hearing as an inward experience of transformation. Of seeing, of seeing uh, the places that are that are not made made with hands.
2: Okay, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I'm I'm not going to believe in something that I I can't see and have really no idea about. I mean, are, you, are there a, all, is there a the spirituality time? to this? I mean, I don't think life is is uh, without purpose. I love life. I think life has meaning, and there's you know, it's probably some some stuff going on that we can't see. I'm not going to argue with that, but. Um, I don't think I deserve hell because I'm I'm not uh, you know I don't have your belief system and it just doesn't make sense to me. Do you believe that I'm going to hell? Like just without some long drawn out answer. Like, do you believe that because I don't have your belief systems, I'm going to hell?
0: Um, I'll give you the short answer and say yes. Okay. That's but that's
2: that's very messed up. Oh, okay. So, um, Man, what, happened, this, what this happens is, to this me? Is What happens to thing? Me when It's I die. like it, Christianity, it's like your life. But I'm not judging not, you. Yeah, you are. 100% you are. I'm not. I'm not.
0: Yeah, you are. I'm not sitting here saying, um, no, yeah, I'm not. You, you I'm not are here using, here using your, your
2: brain to believe that this, the moral system you believe in, which with your brain you believe in, that is okay for somebody to go to hell. Who doesn't, who doesn't, I'm, I'm not telling the story in not their going head to hell that doesn't be, make sense to them.
0: I'm not the one condemning you there, I, just so you know that. And the but reason why I'm it's having okay. this, con- I, I believe it's morally required.
2: Okay, but yes, so exactly. So you believe hell it's okay that I'm going to hell required. because I don't believe in a God that doesn't make sense to me and that I've never seen and that I can't prove. Well, so let's talk
0: about the moral requirement of hell. Okay. Like we have to talk about, okay, hell is morally required because if hell doesn't exist, then every bad person on earth, whoever did anything bad, gets away with it. Hitler got away with it. Or pick Stalin. Stalin got away with it, right? All, the, all, the, all the, the, the lizards at the Federal Reserve, they get away with it. They just die and they're happy. Congratulations.
2: You know it would be really great? If we didn't have this ideology where people think something, you know, accountability happens when you die, because nobody has any idea of what happens when you die. It would yeah, be great if we actually had a belief system where this world was worth fighting for. And you I, made these evil people have accountability today in this world. That would be awesome. I would love unfortunately, to be in that world. We live in a world where the majority of people trust the plan. and They think Jesus is going to float down from, from the clouds and save everyone. I don't think that. And we don't have to take any personal responsibility. That is the problem. I don't think it's, that at all. Well, yeah, it's, it's about not taking personal responsibility. It's about outsourcing responsibility I, to somebody else who's going to come and save the day. I, I don't believe that at all. You should not believe it, but that's I'm, the I'm, case with, with well, the majority Well, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm a proud today. member of—I can't speak for the majority of Christians. I can only speak for me. And I can say that for me and for, uh, and for the men who are part of my theological, eschatological tradition, we believe in post-millennialism, which is that Christians need to take dominion over the world until all enemies are put under Christ's feet, and the last enemy being death, right? That we need to conquer the world and make it a righteous and just society that is the post millennial position that we very much need to fight for the world but we need to fight for the world in a righteous way in a godly way right so so i know that there are many christians who have a what's called a premillennial eschatological position and that is very much trust the plan premillennial eschatology is uh, dispensationalism has been it's a historically novel perspective that's just come about in the past 100 or so years and uh, it does lead to that retreat I'm going to hide in my basement and wait for Jesus to come back. That's the whole left behind series. I'm very proud to be a part of a large community of men, particularly on Twitter, that believe very much in taking dominion over their personal, professional, familial, and uh, and even cultural, even political lives. You may see arguments about Christian nationalism on Twitter. I'm a hard Christian nationalist. So I, I hope you will not count me amongst the men that are that are waving the white flag and waiting for Jesus to come back because I couldn't... I couldn't disagree with that more strongly
2: well that's great right. i'm happy to hear that but i all i can say is the majority of christians i know are absolutely docile and uh yeah. will not fight for this world and want jesus to come down and save them so it's nice to hear that the one percent of christians that this you know so this denomination that you're a part of uh differs from that that's great but i i don't um i don't see that in the majority of of, uh, Christians, I agree. It's a giant, and I also a giant think pain. it's Can fucked up. You think I'm going to hell, man? My life is worth something. All God right. damn it! All right, that's and that's so, that's so is... that's bullshit. All right, seriously, think <laughs> about this. That is wrong. Okay, I it's you not. you just because I don't read the same book you do and have the same it's belief system you do does not mean that I deserve to go to hell. I'm a good person. Okay, I I I'm, I'm, I'm just I I don't uh, have the same. You know, I, I don't know what happens when you die. I'm not going to 100% devote my entire identity in life to something that I really don't know anything about. I've read a lot of the Bible, I've read a bunch of Christian books, but I don't know what happens when you die, and neither do you. And uh, my life is still worth something.
0: Yeah, I, I don't disagree that your that your life is worth something, um, and 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 so is mine, and I think so is everybody's, and I think that there's a there's a respect for. Everyone being made in the image of God and all their lives having unique uh, unique worth, but whether that life can reconcile you to a just and holy God is another question entirely.
2: Okay, so I just have your to life is worthless. accept Jesus in my heart and believe something I've never seen. Why would God seriously? Why would God make it so confusing? I mean, why, it's, why, it's why seriously? Can so you answer this question? Why does if if God wants to save as many people, why does He make it this confusing?
0: because god doesn't God doesn't actually save uh, as many people as possible that's this is this is the, ch- the sticking point for Calvinism for a lot of people
2: yeah I've, I've heard that too like the the narrow date of heaven and you know people will call out my name Lord word and and you know'll say I never knew you and all this stuff I, I, okay but like does God really want a group of people that are just going to be okay with with you know believing something that they have no proof of does, is this these are the kind of people that God wants. God doesn't want people that the, think logically and and earnestly want to you know believe in things that they can see. And
0: I mean, I think I think um, I I have proof um, and I have proof of of God and the proof of God to me is my redeemed life. And so um,
2: that's not proof if for you'll God. allow me.
0: That's not proof if, for God at all. If you'll if you'll allow me, let me let me tell okay. you let me tell you why it's proof. Okay. So so redemption, this is what redemption is. Redemption is you, you go through a struggle which may be generated by your own choices, but maybe not. Um, but you go through the struggle, you go down into the depths, right? And then when you come back out from the depths, things are somehow better than they were when you started, right? So, you, so people who are cancer survivors, right? Cancer survivors will, will say, um, I wouldn't wish this on anybody, but I'm so glad it happened to me, right? And you've probably met people that have gone through challenging things in their lives that have said that, like, wow, that was really tough, but like, and I would never want anyone to go through it, but I'm so glad it happened to me. It made them into a better person. Okay, you've heard that. So that's what redemption is. So from a, from a purely materialistic standpoint, there's no reason why that should be the case. Because if we think about it in terms of entropy, When you feed a certain amount of energy into a system, what do you get back? You get back less, right? You get back disorder. So there should be no such thing as redemption. You should have to fight to get back just to where you were before, right? You go down and you want to get back up to the same place you were at. You should have to fight to get back to that place where you were at. But that's not what happens. What happens is you go down, you come back up, and you're actually in a better place. You're in a higher state of order than when you began. And that's redemption in the life of a human being. That is what I have experienced in my life, is to have created, despite myself, even thinking with my best intentions, to have created chaos and disorder and pain for myself and others. And to have recognized that when I went through that process of repenting from it, turning, apologizing, confessing, that my life attained a higher state of order than I could have possibly achieved on my own. So I personally have been redeemed. There's no reason from a materialistic standpoint why that should be true. And yet it is. And that is also the story behind the entire Christian story. That is redemptive history. The idea that this great tragedy happened in the garden of the fall, right? That Adam and Eve fell into sin. Christ came and this horrible tragedy happened in the sacrifice and led to redemption for potentially all of humanity. That is a far more beautiful story than if Adam and Eve had never fallen to begin with. Redemption is the total history of humanity. And it's my story. And so that's my proof that God exists. You can't see it. You can't, I, I can't so, tell you, I can't show it to you. I can't show it to you. But that is my proof that God exists in the existence, in, in, the, in the status of my own life, in the journey of my own story.
2: I, it's objectively not proof it's it's not by the definition of the word proof it's i didn't not say
0: it you, you just said well, it's, it's, your proof. Proof. it's your it's your belief i didn't right? but it's not it, well it's not scientific it's not scientific proof it's not scientific proof so what we consider proof in our modern age is is what we can measure with our with our eyes yeah, numbers things. facts figures yeah. well i mean like we
2: can't measure love is love real uh you can measure chemicals in your brain but that's not love <laughs> you experience the emotion of love through different chemicals in your brain. Do you know? That's infatuation. So you can't measure love.
0: Emo- can. you no, know, that's not no, you can't. That's not that's an infatuation. Chemical, that's chemicals and infatuation. That's hormones. There are times where you love your wife, where you're not experiencing a chemical rush in your brain, but you know I have to do this thing because I, I love her. That's not a chemical. That's a choice, right? And you can do the choice, but you can't measure the inward state.
2: Yeah, I, I I think that I mean you should take that logic and if you were a Muslim, you should say the same thing. My life has changed, I've been transformed, you know, God is God has made my life better and therefore God is real. It doesn't make your God real right. at it's all. Not proof. It's not it's
0: not objective proof in that same way. That's I said that that's my proof. I said that's my proof. There's more to it than just the subjective experience. Faith is not just a subjective experience. That's where a lot of Christians go wrong. I had a personal experience of faith, and that's all I need. There's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. There's right living, there's evangelism, right? There's participating in a church. There's a total way that you organize your life as a Christian and your total life view, transforming that and becoming a new person. Again, take from you the heart of stone and give to you a heart of flesh, right? It's, it's both of those. It's the total reform of, of a human being. It's not just my own inner subjective experience.
2: I, I think, I think um, people feel very comfortable with, with uh, Those ideas and and uh, people want to feel like they have the answers, but I don't think that's um you know I don't know I mean there there are there are people who have were who born in different parts of the world and they have different religions and they believe their own religions just as earnestly as you believe in yours and uh, you know I think human beings are afraid of death and we're afraid of the unknown and death is the ultimate unknown and we want to have comfort in that. So, I mean, I, the, the difference I, is I, I, I'm, I'm just not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to condemn people uh, for having a different belief system than my, as long as it's, it's moral. But I, you know, I, I, I don't see how you think that's okay to have somebody be going to hell because they don't believe in your religion. I think that's a horrible Lord, I want you to know that I'm, perception. I'm
0: not condemning I'm not condemning. You're believing
2: me. in a God which is condemning and you're ascribing morality to that God. So you think it's okay. You do.
0: I mean, do I, do, I think it's, do I think it's okay? Like, I don't have to think it's okay for it to be true. There are lots of things that are true that, are not, that, I'm, that I'm not personally okay with. Do you believe okay in a God with, that's like, immoral? Uh, I, I, don't believe, I believe in the
2: God is not capable of immorality. Okay, so then you believe that it's moral for me to go to hell because I don't believe in your God. The better word is just. Okay, we're. It is this just. is the. Pro- you're getting too caught up in semantics. Just moral. Sure,
0: that's fine. I have to use precise terms, but because it's important, we have a
2: just a just God, a God who believes in justice. Okay, and morality. So you. Sure. Yes. You could. Yeah, okay. You can, there, so you, you wouldn't believe in a God that you think is immoral. Therefore, the, the God you believe is moral. And you think it's moral for me to go to hell because I don't believe in your God. That's that's the reality mm-hmm. of, of the uh, situation. I mean, you you just because I I don't believe in, you know, a book of a god demanding that a guy sacrifices his own son and cuts the uh, part of the dick off of babies and staffs turning into snakes and oceans splitting apart for your ancestors to watch across the ocean and all these ridiculous stories, which are not historically accounted for at all. I'm going to a horrible place forever. I think that's, uh, I think that's ridiculous. Yeah,
0: I, th- I think you can, you can be saved without necessarily um, knowing how to be comfortable with all the different aspects of the Bible, because th- that what is required to be saved is to repent from sin and believe in Jesus Christ as, as your Lord and Savior. And you can, be- you can have both of those things and not necessarily be 100% comfortable with every aspect of the Bible, but be committed to getting there. Like, it's not required, like, it's not written on the front of this book. Like, you must 100% understand and believe everything that's in here, right? Because a, a child can be saved. A child five or six, 10 years old can be saved, can be a regenerate believer and not understand everything in the Bible.
2: All right. Well, that's your morality. Uh, but my morality is objective. And I believe in the poetic eddas. And I believe that if you don't believe in Odin, then you're going to be going to hell forever. And my morality is objective. And it's changed my life and made my life a, b- a lot better since I believed in Odin, and therefore it's it's mm-hmm. proof of it being true. Okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> so are you going out advocating? Are you going out advocating for for Odinism for everybody? Like, is this the standard that everyone now needs to adopt? I guess I'm an Odin nationalist
2: now. Yeah. No, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> obviously, I don't actually I know, believe get these things, but uh, I, I think people listen, man. It's it's like the Plato's Noble Lie. People need a lie to believe in. I mean, maybe we don't anymore. Nietzsche talked about how you know religion is. less and less popular and we have to reevaluate our morality or else we're gonna wake up in a nihilistic death cult, which I think we have today and I think he was right. But um you know, I mean people maybe at large society needs to believe in a noble lie. Society needs to believe in things they can't prove or you know things that aren't material in order to have a nice cohesive blend. I mean maybe that's the case. But I, I think that uh throughout history there have been many noble lies. There's than many religions, and you know, for you as a Christian to claim absolute totality, like there's absolutely no question about it, my belief is the correct one and everybody else is wrong, I think is just kind of childish.
0: So so we're back to the question of of moral objectivism versus moral relativism. So, you know, a very, very small percentage of people are are atheists today who believe that there is no higher reality beyond material reality but even they have a religious aspect. I mean, not, that's not a what atheists
2: believe. They just don't know. Atheists aren't claiming that they
0: believe that's, something. That, that's agnostic. That's agnosticism. Like, I just don't know. Like agnostic, uh, gnosis, lack of knowledge. I just don't know. Atheism is, an, like, it's really anti-theism. Like, that is, we can say definitively that there's nothing there. So that's atheism versus agnosticism. So the rest of the people around the world, including, you know, indigenous tribal religions, they have their own religious perspective, spiritual religious perspective. And so, um, are they all right? Are they are they all correct? Right, bearing in mind, bearing in mind the notion of whether or not morality is objective or subjective.
2: Uh, yeah, you should talk to Svanholm about the uh, atheist agnostic. That's another yeah. I don't way of the yeah. semantics. I I would say I'm yeah under that. Uh, I I just don't know. You should call me agnostic. Uh, I don't I don't I don't get okay. the. What, what is the point of your question here? Well, so,
0: so I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to again to get to a point of uh, of standards. Mm-hmm. By what standard are we using to judge the truth of religion? By what standard are we using to judge the um, objectivity or the value of, of morality? Like, because we have to agree on a standard. Because if we if we <laughs> think not, that
2: uh, Jen, I'm gonna I'm gonna achieve. You're asking basically the same question by our brain. That's that's how you use you. That's how that's what you use to have your moral standards, which you believe in. You believe it's morally okay for me to go to hell. And I use my brain to choose my moral standards where I don't believe it's okay for me to go to hell or, you know, by our brain that we have. That's why it's what everybody uses.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So so um so if you don't believe if you don't believe in we can talk about whether hell is just or not, that's a valid conversation. But so um how do you uh, maintain your own moral standards when um, are, are you your own 100% effective uh, police officer for
2: all that? Am I my own? Well, no. I mean, if I go out and I start killing a bunch of babies, then somebody sh- is probably going to stop me at some point. I mean, by
0: like, I mean, what I mean, of course, I, I don't, I, 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 would not, I would hope you don't do that. What I mean is that um, the totality of our experience of being human Is more than just uh, our actions. It's also um, also our words and also our thoughts. Mm -hmm. All those things are factored into our experience of being human. So, um, so are you, Andrew, personally able to be the most effective monitor of all of your thoughts, words, and actions? Do you determine the standards? Mm
2: -hmm. I mean, are are, do you know my thoughts? I mean, who else would know my I, thoughts? No. Okay, so who else right. is going to be the, the moral police officer?
0: Sure, okay. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not looking The difference not, between you and me
2: is I, I don't believe that I need ancient Jewish blood magic rituals like Oof. like the blood of the lamb. No. That's what it is. Yeah, no, like the blood gonna, of the lamb no, and, and going, uh, okay. you know, animal sacrifice. I don't believe that I need that to be a moral person, and you do. I I don't need those things. You need the blood of
0: the blood of Lamb. You need the blood of Jesus in order to be saved. To be to be reconciled to be reconciled to a holy God as a result of sin. Yes. It's not blood magic.
2: I don't see how it's different from blood magic. It's supernatural stuff. It's just like Because
0: Because blood magic blood magic is um, is will working, which is to say blood magic is to bring about um, to bring about God cannot help but manifest His will, God's will, His decree. I think we understand that we understand something. We understand something something very, very different. And and again, this is in the story of original sin, where Adam and Eve disobeyed God um, and fell into sin, and were no longer in reconciliation with Him. And God asked for sacrifices from the Jews of animals, you know, to bring into reconciliation because it takes blood to reconcile with sin but no amount of animal sacrifice could ever pay the, pay the price for human sin. So then why did they so have to do did, it in bu- the first
2: place? Oh, um, <laughs> like, why? why? It's just, there are just so many things that, that do not make because, uh, because the sense. Price,
0: because the price for sin has to be paid. Has to be you paid just said somehow. it wouldn't
2: fully be paid. They could, they could never fully
0: keep the law. They could never fully keep the law because they were, they were sinners. We screw up all the time, all the time, every day, constantly. Every, no matter what we do, constantly all throughout our lives. And so God demanded these sacrifices of animals, which are really just things of value, and then grain offerings as well. So it wasn't just animals. But You see the blood and the bread there, uh, the blood and the wine, um, bread and the wine, um, to, to attempt to reconcile people for their sins to God. But no amount of uh, sacrifice of animals could ever do the job. So God, in his infinite mercy, and his in- infinite wisdom and infinite justice, Sent one third of himself into incarnate human form to pay the human blood sacrifice for sin, while also being God, a hypostatic union, totally God and totally man, to pay the once-for-all price for all human sins forever for for the elect. If we want to get uh, Calvinist about it, so for the elect. So this was the way that God solved the problem of reconciling sinful beings to Himself, sacrificing one third of Himself for that. God sacrifices Himself for our redemption. I can't think of a more beautiful story than that.
2: I don't know. I can.
0: <laughs> what would to reconcile you to God? What would be a more beautiful way of reconciling reconciling fallen, sinful, which we agree is fallen, sinful humanity to God? Because if humans weren't sinful, look around. Right? How else can we be reconciled to
2: God? I, I just don't. I don't live in that world that you live, in. I don't live in this world where I, I believe there's somebody. Above me, and you know, there's heaven and hell, and it's like if you believe in this thing that you can't see or whatever, you're going to heaven. You're going to heaven if you don't, you're going to hell. And two human beings—I don't know how old do you think the earth is, but six thousand years ago, according to the Bible, literally speaking. I mean, believe that, maybe you don't, but whatever. Two human beings, God just created them, and even though He's this all-knowing God, He and He surely must have known that they would disobey Him. Uh, now all of humanity has to suffer because somebody ate they ate a, a fruit from the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil, which is very ironic, by the way, that it's called that. Um, I, I just I, I don't live in this world that you do. I think I mean what's what's more likely that all of these things literally happened, or people thousands of years ago made it up. To me, the most likely thing is that people made it up just like a bunch of other religions have been made up that and you think yours is the only real one that's that wasn't made up and actually happened but i I don't think that's the case. I think you know it's much more likely that instead of the entire history of humanity happening with two human beings and then they ate some fruit and everybody else is doomed and were responsible for their Them eating a fruit and staff turning into snake, and, uh, you know, a man talking with a burning bush, and, uh, you know, uh, the Son of God being sent here and feeding 5,000 people with a few, you know, small amount of food, and and, uh, blind people being healed and watching on water. And sorry, but no, I, I think it's much more likely that people made that up and wrote it in a book.
0: Okay, so then, so then, um, and I I mean this as an open question. This is not a trick question. Where do you think everything came from, and how do you explain the human
2: condition? I really have no idea. Um, I I'm skeptical of evolution. Uh, I'm not even ruling out the idea of, of a creator or creators plural. Or I really have no idea. I mean, I you know I've created my child with another human being, and that's you know I'm the creator of her, right? So, and she came from me. So it makes sense that we would come from something and I'm not ruling that out, but uh, I, I have not seen that thing that we have come from. So I don't know. I'm just not going to act like I know. And I'm not going to act like I have all the answers like you are. No offense, but you are and every Christian is acting like they have they, a monopoly on truth and they have all the answers. And I, I think there is hubris in that.
0: So, um, so if you don't know, how can you say I'm wrong?
2: you Maybe you're right but if if you don't know how you, how can you say that I'm wrong
0: i mean i, I can say I can say that uh, I can incorporate your worldview into mine you can't incorporate my worldview into yours
2: I, I think you're playing semantics too. much. i' I've, I've been i've grew mm-hmm. up with your worldview I'm very familiar with your worldview you can literally ask the same question that you asked me to you 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 don't let me rephrase that
0: then. I, can, I, can, I have a framework to understand your unbelief, right? From your perspective of unbelief, you don't have a framework to understand my belief or anyone's belief because you how, can't say that... How do I any, not have you, a
2: framework to understand your belief? I completely understand your belief. I used to have your belief. No,
0: what I mean is that you, um, you say that you don't know, so you have no capacity of saying
2: that I'm wrong. I could be right. Okay. You don't you, like you that should, I assert that I'm right. You should be right, but I should also be right. I mean, I, I, the, the difference is, again, I'm not saying that I have the monopoly on truth and I'm right and you're wrong. Maybe you're right, but I can't prove that you're right and neither can you. So, um,
0: so I guess the point that I'm trying to get at with that is like, <laughs> it sort of makes me wonder, like, why are, then why are we arguing? Why do, you have a problem with, why do you have a problem with me believing even if I believe that you're wrong? If, if all beliefs are Because I think your belief system is,
2: is problematic. And, you know, the idea of loving your enemies is, is not good. And the idea of people going to hell because they don't have your belief system is not good. And there's a lot of horrible stuff in the Old Testament that you believe is, was legitimate at one point in time that's not good. And I, I don't think it's a, a good thing for society. I think uh, that's problematic.
0: So you don't know what the truth is, but you know that I'm wrong. I don't You don't know what's right, but you know that I'm wrong. I, I, you know no, things I I don't
2: I know some things are true. I know the sky is blue, I know that it's you know oh, that's materialistic truth, but we're talking about spiritual okay, truth, I'll, right? I so, also know it's 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 true that it your life is gonna be better and it's 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 moral to not lie to people and things like this. I have my my beliefs, which are commonly held by a lot of people in society today, but you don't know, okay, if you're gonna say that I don't know what truth is because I'm I'm just not claiming to know who is God, and I'm not speaking on, on behalf of God, neither do you. you. Again, you don't know. You have no idea. You can act like you know. You can you know, believe you know, but you don't know just as much as I do. And this is the ultimate problem, is that Christians believe that they are the only ones who are correct and everybody else is wrong. And if people don't have your belief system, then they're going to a bad place forever. And that is childish and it's wrong. You don't know. Well, neither do I. That's, that's I, the difference is I admit it and you can't, I mean, you're, you you're assuming that I don't, you're assuming that I don't, you're know. assuming that, you know, you're assuming because you
0: don't know, but you're assuming that, you know, so I think, so what you don't like is my certainty.
2: Uh, yes, I would say that's, that's an okay. aspect of it. Yeah. Because you're, you're certain that you know something, which you have literally no idea about. So,
0: um, you literally don't know whether I'm right though. <laughs>
2: Okay. Right? Again, I mean, how many times do you want to bring up the same thing? You can use the same exact question. Well, no, it's it's
0: it's important. It ma- it matters because you're asserting you're asserting that we can't actually okay, know. So I'm going to use the same for... thing.
2: I believe uh, Odin is real, and um, so you you don't know. Okay. Okay. I can use the same Let's, exact logic, but for my god, for a different yeah. god. Yeah, you can.
0: Okay. And then we, and then we can and then we can have so our neither of us know. <laughs>
2: Can we admit that well, neither no, then, of us actually we know, can, and they're just beliefs that make us feel better?
0: Uh, no, because then we can actually, from that standpoint of of making a positive claim about reality, then we can actually compare our positive claims
2: of reality and see how they stack you up. You can't compare see your they, your claim of ah, this is the problem, man. You you don't. The only way that Christians can justify these insane beliefs is through a bunch of semantics that are mental gymnastics. You you don't you have no idea just as much as i do you have literally no idea what happens when you die you don't
0: so 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 you would prefer so you would prefer that i
2: that i adopt your
0: position of uh, of not knowing no
2: i'm not like you i don't feel like i have to save the whole world with my belief system and if you don't have my beliefs then you're you're going to hell forever i i don't believe that i want you to be a good so, person i don't want you to you know harm me or my family and if you do then you know i'll defend myself but uh do that i'm not i'm not living in this world where i have you know the the fear of this god that's gonna you know damn me to hell forever and i have to save everybody and it's like this this it's literally like stockholm syndrome i don't have that fear i don't have that i don't have that i don't have that and i've and i've never had that i know that many christians i'm pretty sure that (laughs) the influence of heaven and hell influence probably you and a lot if not all christians you don't think that, that uh, if there s- was this belief of eternal damnation, people wouldn't be Christian? You don't think that's influential at all? I think that's dishonest I mean, if, if you don't believe that.
0: Sure, I, I, and I, think, I don't think that's the strongest case for Christianity, is the, is the threat of eternal damnation. I think the, the promises that Christianity makes for this life, for a redeemed version of this life, are far stronger
2: than the threat um, of hell. No, I mean Jesus that's says my, in the Bible that that you're, you know you have to suffer and you have to you have to hate your life, you have to hate your family. Um and no, I see it in really I, I see it in the that. real world. I know tons of Christians who are poor and uh defenseless and weak people because they have this this belief system. I think it's harmed a lot of people too.
0: Oh, for sure, but I mean that's that you can take in humans are really good at taking tools and turning them into weapons. And that's just what humans do because of our sinful nature. So, um, so you can also find countless people around the world that have had their lives absolutely transformed prisoners, you know, men on death row, people have done terrible things that have found redemption and peace and healing in Christ. That is not possible any other way that has to be accounted for as well.
2: I'm happy. I'm genuinely happy that their lives have improved. And if they need a belief system to do that, then that's awesome that I'm, I'm very happy about that. That still doesn't make it true. So you know, but that's but, good that but their you, life has improved. I think a lot of people who've done bad things in their life and have guilt are more susceptible to Christianity because it's it's a you know way that they can feel redeemed. And if that's the case, then okay, that's fine.
0: It's it's more than I think it's more than feeling redemption. It's a it's a process of total life transformation. It's a process of rebirth. You know, being that's why they have a you know, born-again Christian. Like I have that I have had that experience of being a born-again person. Of not being the man that I was just four years ago, and you know I wasn't in prison or anything like that. But um, I have I have that experience, and that's the power. Um, that's the power that Christianity, in its purest and truest form, offers, which you can't get by necessarily by threatening someone with hell, right? You offer them the chance at a redeemed life here. And yes, many people are kept quote unquote in line by the threat of hell, but I don't think that's a true heart transformation. A true heart for transformation longs for justice, longs for the good, longs for righteousness. So you can't and long doing for justice
2: for, or righteousness or dude without believing in the God of Israel and that Jesus died for your sins.
0: Um, I think it, we would have to get clear on on what situationally how that shows up. I think it's um, a complicated
2: answer to You can still believe in righteousness and morality yeah, and justice I, without believing in your right. God. You can't. Okay, absolutely. So we're to all made in the human all, beings who don't have your belief system that they can't have morality uh, without the God you believe in. Right. The
0: reason why they have morality in the first place is because God made them. Right. We're all made in the image of God, and that's where our that's where our morality comes from. Is that it's woven into us. It's it's part of it's part of our being. Right. So that's that's He put it in, into us. That's why society works to the degree that it does. But the fulfillment the fulfillment of that is found in faith in, in him faith in his creator faith in his son so you can live a moral life for sure you can but the fulfillment of that morality actively seeks god to understand what the source of that morality is
2: i guess we'll find out one day will <laughs> okay. maybe, maybe, maybe you're right i mean have you ever seen that south park episode when when um, they they show heaven and hell and they show heaven and uh, there's there's some person who's this big a checklist and they're like, okay, everyone, the ones who got it right were the Mormons. <laughs> and then it shows a bunch <laughs> of Mormons in heaven. It's like, oh, you know, and then everybody else is in hell. It's like, oh, damn, you know, I mean, I don't know, man. Um, I guess we'll, we'll find out one day, but I'm not going to love my enemy and I'm not going to give up, uh, all my material possessions and I'm not gonna, you don't know, have to do a lot of you don't these, have to give up your material things. possessions? I'm not going to believe in things that don't make any sense to me, and I have no shame in that. And um, you know, I mean, I'm I'm happy to. Uh, yeah i I don't I don't know what else to say. I mean, if, if this is if everything you're saying is true, which I I don't think it makes any sense, and I, I don't believe in it. If it is, then I will stand before God. Uh, you know, if, if I somehow I die, end up in heaven, all up in the clouds then i'll talk to him and be honest with him and and uh that's just the way it is but um your belief system does not make sense to me and i can't force myself to believe something that that doesn't make sense and that's great that you have these experiences where you believe god has given these experiences to you and okay whatever but i i don't and i can't force myself to have a belief that i i just don't have
0: so i understand i completely understand i I hope um I hope that amidst all of that, that um, that I, I've I've given some uh, answers to questions that maybe you haven't heard before, and uh, I, I hope also that you haven't felt from me a sense of condemnation because I, I don't condemn you. Dude, you got to um, see
2: how you got to see the irony in that, right? How is that I mean, not you understand, like
0: Well, I mean, like, like
2: let, let's let's clearly let's try the belief you have example. is a sense of condemnation. I mean, and I'm not I'm not no, mad I at you. I, I think this is something that I personally think you've. Tons of people have fallen victim to this belief because it is a sense of condemnation for sure.
0: Well, you asked me to give you a, you give you a straight answer and I gave you a straight answer. Yeah. But I don't relate to you from the perspective of that answer. I relate to you as a, as a man made in the image of God seeking truth who has a strong sense of morality in himself and is looking to find a place to complete that morality. I believe in the goodness of you. I believe in your goodness and I believe in, in the uprightness and the sincerity of your search. And I don't, con- I don't condemn you, right? It, it personally, from my perspective of not sharing my beliefs, but I can tell you what the beliefs say. I can tell you what the book says. That doesn't mean that I personally condemn you. Had I personally condemned you, and people did personally condemn you on Twitter, had I personally condemned you, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? But I, but I felt, I felt the genuine longing and search for truth in the sense of what we might call moral outrage. The calling out through that. And so I wanted to speak to that because I think it's a good part of you. I think it's a good part of you that comes from a good place. And my hope would be to show you where that place is, where that where that place it comes from is. But that doesn't mean that I, I personally condemn you or I personally judge you. If you want to ask me what the book says and what my beliefs say, I have to answer that question for you honestly. But that doesn't mean that I'm here looking at you and relating to you in that way. Other Christians would. And I think that's annoying. And sad and gay, but uh, I don't like it.
2: <laughs> I, listen, man, I, I appreciate it, Will. I, I don't think you're like a bad person or anything. I know you don't think sure. I'm a bad person, but, you know, right. I mean, like I mentioned many, many times on this podcast, you, you do personally believe that God of Israel will send me to hell. So that is a personal belief of yours, whether or not you think it's, and, and you believe that God is mortal too. So it, it's, it's like, it's almost like outsourced condemnation. In a way, it's not like you directly condemning me to hell, but you believe in a God who in your mind is moral and will damn me to hell. So it is a personal belief, right? So, but we don't have to, I mean, we've already gone back and forth yeah. on that topic. And I, I think what I'm saying is very logical, but, uh, you know.
0: Well, so can I ask you then just one more question? Sure. Okay. So let's, um, let's stipulate that there is a heaven and hell. <laughs> Let's just stipulate that. What do you think would be required by God to get into heaven? Like this notion of being a, a good person, quote unquote, good person. What does that mean?
2: If heaven and hell were actually real, what do I think would be required according to the Bible? Like according to
0: according to your, your we'll say moral intuition. Because I think we can agree that people like Jeffrey Epstein, hell. Yeah. Right? No totally. question. Yeah. Right? Okay. So we agree that there is... We agree that there is genuine active malice and wickedness in the world mm-hmm. right and that and that they shouldn't just die and get away with it, like oh, that was good, I got to live a life of wickedness and sin yeah, it should be so we agree that yeah. right exactly and, 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 exactly and like Stalin, all these people right that they should be punished in the afterlife so um, so that's their, <laughs> that's hell. what should be required to get into heaven
2: uh what should <sighs> That's, uh, that's a really tough question. I mean, if, if I were to decide what should be, well, I don't want any, I don't, I don't want any rapists up in heaven. Right. <laughs> I don't want any. Mur- I mean, it's, it's almost like, what do I want to have happen in society today? Like, I don't want any rapists. I don't want any murderers. I don't, right. I don't want any liars. I mean, okay, we've all lied, but I don't mm-hmm. want people that like psychopathically lie. Right, so um, I don't know, I mean, I, I want good people where i i mean right here i want I want to live around good people i I want to uh, you know, i mean i don't <laughs> but I mean but this idea of like i i want people i want to be in this place where only people who believe in things that they can't prove and have never seen and don't make sense, only they're the ones that are going to go to heaven, I think that's wrong,
0: right, yeah, I mean that we can. This is a question of, of justification. We can that, that will take another couple hours to unpack. But okay, so 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 you want good people to be in heaven. So we have to come up with a definition of what it means to be a good person. And I and I would like um, I would like to, to posit to you that um, God does provide a definition of what it means to be a good person.
2: Well, uh, maybe man does. Who wrote the Bible? And you believe the Bible is inspired by God, but it's still written by men. But okay, so what what does God
0: God says, "Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love okay, your neighbor." Under as that
2: definition, I'm not a good person.
0: Do you I don't mean can your you find I, it? In, I don't. Well, can you find it in your heart to love the God that sends Jeffrey
2: Epstein to hell? I don't. Is there something I, dude, lovable about I, I don't know if Jeffrey Epstein is in hell. I've never seen hell. I hope he's in hell. I do too, and I think it makes people feel better at thinking that he is but I don't know if he is. I don't know what the fuck happens when you die. I I don't know.
0: Okay. Okay. I mean, from a moral perspective, it would be morally outrageous if uh, it, it, on the deepest level to imagine that someone like a, a Stalin would not be punished in the afterlife, that he could go through and kill millions And then he just dies and it's like, okay, cool. He gets the same fate as the rest of us. Sweet. I mean, yeah, it would would be morally
2: outrageous, but it's also morally outrageous that he was able to kill like 40 million of his own people too in this life.
0: I mean, yes, but like, but uh, which would be the greater sin that he, that he got, that he did the things and got away with it. I think that, that he got away with it would be pretty bad. That'd be a strike against everything that we understand about what it means to live. That there be consequence, because men who can be rich and powerful can avoid the consequences of their decision on life. This is where the limitations of power. If power dictates morality, then you can prevent. You can be powerful enough to prevent the consequences of your actions in this lifetime.
2: But But you're not powerful enough. Yeah.
0: But I mean, like, but I, but you understand what we mean? Like, you can be powerful enough that you can do terrible things, and your money and power can be strong enough to prevent you from ever experiencing any consequences. Dude,
2: listen, I I, Except- I agree with like half of what you're saying. I think Joseph Stalin yeah. and like Bill Gates and all these evil Epstein. Okay, yeah, they should be in hell. But I also don't believe that you should be in hell if you don't believe in in the god that you believe in. I don't think that's okay. I'm I'm like with you on half of it, which is where if you're a genuinely shitty human being, you should be punished forever. Torture. I want Epstein to be tortured. Okay? Yes. I want that. But I I don't think that I should be in the same place as Jeffrey Epstein. Do you not see how that's ridiculous? (laughs) Come on. I mean, there's got to be a part of you that sees how ridiculous that is. You think I should be in the same place as Jeffrey Epstein? (laughs)
0: <laughs> what I'm trying to say that's what, is but that... that um, yes or
2: no, right? That's actually what you believe, right? Right. So what I'm
0: trying to say... No, what I'm trying to say is that if, if, uh, if all we have to do is not be Jeffrey Epstein to be a good person, that's not a positive definition. That's a negative definition. You can't define a good person by saying, okay, well, I'm not that. We have to make a positive definition of what it means to but be But I also person. don't believe that
2: you're a good person if you believe in the God of Israel. I think there are a lot of bad people who believe in the God of Israel. And they do it, especially because they can do bad things and be forgiven, too. I think that's a big crutch of Christianity.
0: And I would say that the people who do those bad things and just simply expect forgiveness to happen, uh, they, I would say that they are not regenerate believers. Because the, the desire of becoming a true, true Christian is to live and to act righteously only. And if someone thinks that they can just use Christianity as a get out of jail free card for committing wickedness, yes, many people have done that through history, but I don't think that those are regenerate believers that truly understand the heart of the gospel. And it's a shame that they're so public. It's a, it is a shame, but I think that the faith author offers something so much more.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay.
0: Well, I um, thank you for engaging with me in that, in that dialogue. It was fun. I appreciate that. It was, a good time. That. I, it um, was fun. Okay, yeah. good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. No, man, I, I, I
2: really, it. I really did enjoy it. I, um, yeah, <laughs> like I said, I guess, I guess, we'll find out.
0: So yes, and, and you know, hopefully, hopefully, our, our discussion, you know, uh, will will bless the the men who are the men and women who are listening as well to to get to hear this this dialogue, this respectful dialogue. Like I think it was respectful person to person as opposed to 280 characters at a time. <laughs>
2: I think it was. It's it's good. We we had some fire in the debate, but uh, or conversation, whatever <laughs> yeah. you want to call it. But have you know, God yes. forbid that I my questions may have influenced somebody else and uh you know. I, I, I actually should say you, you do have um you you are a gutsy guy to have somebody like me on your podcast. Um I think a lot of Christians wouldn't wanna do that. So mm. I respect that.
0: You're a gutsy man. Thank you you're a gutsy man for coming on the podcast in the first place yeah. like it, 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 and and for responding to my tweet and and for for me I picked up on the genuineness and the sincerity in the thread and you picked up on my genuineness and sincerity in my response and I think that led us here today and I think that there's there's something model that we can model this for people like hey you know men can sincerely disagree and they can sincerely have a dialogue and that sincerity is very important because I'm all about men coming together and i think part of that is like we pick up on the sincerity in each other as well and we try to do that
2: yeah yeah i agree with that i agree with that
0: excellent well thank you so much for a wonderful dialogue great afternoon great conversation this has been it's i enjoyed the fire as well um so where would you like to send men to find out more about you and what you do
2: uh yeah so they'd People can find me on Twitter. Uh, handles Andrew underscore J underscore Howard. I'm also in Noster as well. I have my uh, public key mm. posted in a pinned tweet. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well if anybody wants to connect on that horrible platform. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, that's, that's about it. We can agree on LinkedIn. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. It's a horrible place. Cool.
0: It's a horrible it's
2: place. It's not as bad as hell, but it's close. <laughs> that's pretty close (laughs) okay man thanks a lot Will thank you cheers
0: cheers